Welcome to the Swampflex Podcast. My name is Brandon Lede. And I'm Brittany Lomboss. And I'm Aaron Armstrong. And I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch Rat Wars. <laughs> <laughs> really a war if only one person has an army yeah i would say the rats are in a sort of planet of the apes style thing where they're vying mm. between two different leaders ben and socrates um mm-hmm. and that, wait wait peter are you saying this was earth the whole time this this movie <laughs> took place on earth the whole time that really changes my my perception of it. Willard lives in Elvira's house. Of course, it happens on planet Earth. You're saying that little fucking kid with the marionettes was he's a Earthling? <laughs> I would say there's some clear class warfare going on in these movies, where there's a hierarchy of what rats get treated better than others. <laughs> oh yeah, bullshit. <laughs> I mean, not not to really go into a well that Peter and I go into too deeply, but yeah, I definitely think the the original and the remake Willard it might just be about capitalism in some extent. Oh, <laughs> really? I just thought it was about rats. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is a lot. Yeah, about it's about rats. both. It's about rats and capitalism. I guess. And, and how uh, radicalism. You need to be better. People need to be better socialized by their moms. Yeah, I was like, yeah, mommy, mommy issues and, and rat boys. Yeah. <laughs> this is the, one of the most staunchly anti-homeschooling movies I've ever seen. Oh yeah. Mm, oh. Don't get yeah. into the family business. Also, it's about it's about the the threat of incels. And why they only get more dangerous when they make friends with other incels. Actually, oh, the God. rats are chads. Ah. Oh. Because the rats are always having sex. Let Peter, let Brandon in. We're on his Yeah, podcast. sorry, sorry. Well, I was actually going to start by thanking y'all for uh, doing another crossover with us. <laughs> <laughs> we were being so silly in the green room. I was like, oh, yeah, sorry. We have to actually produce a program here. Got it. <laughs> well, this is a very busy time of year for y'all. Y'all are coming off of your spooktober complete meltdown of like overload of horror media and then somehow i roped y'all into watching three more horror movies for this podcast yeah this is like a hair of the dog situation but it's hair of the rat <laughs> well i got to watch two of them for spooktober because I, I i'd never seen willard or ben before so like last week as i was wrapping up i just included them in the totally reasonable amount of movies that i ended up watching that is smart. I, I ended up watching 32 horror movies this month, um, and I was very impressed with myself, uh, but not after hearing the numbers y'all were doing. And I also included all the Willard movies in that count as well. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you have a healthy approach to, you know, yeah. balance between life and, <laughs> and cinema, and we have a sickening, sickening disease. You're saying 114 new-to-me movies in, in 31 days is unreasonable? <laughs> it's terrifying. <laughs> I hit 70, and I, I still look at him a little different. <laughs> <laughs> well okay explain to Brittany and the swamp flicks audience like what y'all do every spooktober because i look forward to this every single year yeah so we we've been doing it before we had a podcast but uh i think like peter and i kind of became friends uh and we're, we're messaging i think probably the first time we started messaging was around spooktober and that we uh were both had our own our own th- things i think i just used to watch like tried to watch 31 movies and Peter was a little more committed to the, they have to be new to you. And and I was like, oh, I like that idea. Like, you have to watch 31 New to Me. So it kind of, like, started, I think, for both of us combined in 2015. And then when we started doing a podcast, we started kind of recapping at the beginning of our episodes during October what we've been watching. But it kind of turned into this unwieldy mess where 
we were uh, talking about other movies and what we had watched uh, over the course of a week uh, for like the first hour of a <laughs> of an episode on some other movies. And so like uh, in the last couple of years, we kind of made it its own thing and then also brought on a couple people in that Peter's known for a long time. One that apparently is as equally obsessed with horror movies as um, as we are in one that just had never uh, Bill Fox, uh, Peter's brother-in-law, who had never would never really seen any horror movies, thought he didn't like them. And so it kind of became this bigger thing. And then uh, Peter usually would always get more than me. I would I would be in the 35 to 45 range, and he would be uh, high 40s, 50s, 60s, I think, one year. And then something happened last year with COVID where we, we all went fucking nuts. And like <laughs> we hit like in the 80, between the, there's like three of us participating. Uh, Ryan Bolin, who's a sometime guest on our show and Peter's like best friend since kindergarten, uh, where we were just doing these insane numbers. And then so much of this year was like, there's no way we're going to do that again. And then like at the end of the first weekend, I think all of us were in the 20s and we're like, yeah, we're going to go try to go pretty high again this year. Uh, And it got even crazier. Like Peter says he did 71. Peter did 71 while being away from movies for a week and a half because of a vacation. So (laughs) like (laughs) he did commiserate numbers with the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah. So and and the the fun part about it, it, like is the socialization aspect. Um, so like getting to be like, oh, I saw this crazy thing. You have to sneak that on your list. And like group text, texting back and forth about like all the stuff you've seen or like, hey, I know you have this on your list, but it kind of sucks. Like that's a landmine. Maybe avoid that. Just kind of making it like part of the challenge, like fun competition um, really helps keep everything moving. Uh, but the other fun part, uh, since we've started covering it on the show, and especially once Aaron had the idea to split it off into their own mini episodes, actually sometimes very big episodes. Yeah, very um, long episodes. Yeah, well, <laughs> they were mini when we were getting normal numbers, um, is that we get to pretend to be Swamp Flicks, a podcast we very much love. We get to be Swamp Flicks for a little bit where we have the liberation of being like, okay, if we want to talk about Malignant for 15 minutes, we can talk about Malignant for 15 minutes. Uh, or if I want to talk about something for 30 seconds, I just want to touch on one weird thing about this one movie. One weird thing about uh, when a stranger calls, I can do that. Um, and so that's also like a liberating aspect of, of covering it in the show. So yeah, it's been it's been so it's been so much fun. And Brandon, you also participate in that Facebook group where we get to compare with some of our other online folks about like what they've been watching and that like makes it even a little bit bigger. I feed off of that energy every year, even years when I'm at like film fest, usually in October where I cannot get anywhere near the number of films that y'all are touching. I am furiously taking notes every time y'all record one of those episodes, one of those recaps um, of stuff that like I need to prioritize or just throw on the watch list and hope, you know, I get to someday. Well, yeah, and you like, well, you had that great, like, 31 streaming recommendations, and I pulled a few off of there to add to my own list, and, like, uh, one of my favorites I watched, uh, I Blame Society, that I uh, was trying to get Peter to watch probably next year, was was on that list of, like, I'd never even heard of that before. Uh, the, the poster actually had it, uh, I thought it was the same thing as I Care A Lot. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> they have similar, like, girl boss type, like, uh, yeah. advertising, but I Blame Society is, like, self-critical about mm-hmm. that <laughs> in a way that I Care A Lot is not. <laughs> I, I'm making Brittany watch that for the show very soon as well. And I thought it was the same thing. I thought it was that other movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, wow. This, what a beautiful process. Um, <laughs> and I just feel very inspired by all of it. 
I always try to do something similar, like personally for Halloween, where I'm like, I'm going to watch like all these new horror movies and I'm going to like blossom into this new being. And then what happened this year is a lot of them were on Tubi. We're big Tubi people in Swamp Flicks. And the thing about Tubi is it always reroutes me to lifetime movie territory and then I just can't get back. <laughs> just go down a rabbit hole. So like this October has just been like like lifetime movies. Like my my horror queens have been Delta Burke and Tiffany Amber Thiessen. <laughs> Lots of troubled marriages. Yeah, troubled marriages or like, you know, children with anger issues. Yeah. <laughs> Mommy's feeding uh slowly poisoning their families. Well yeah, I mean that's the dinner. That's uh that's beautiful trash as we've discussed with uh with both of you before. That's beautiful trash. Just throwing um, it out I, there. I like it, trash. If y'all ever want to collab for like a lifetime extravaganza, please let me know. We did th- <laughs> we did that a couple Christmases ago. We did uh we did a theme for a month of like Hallmark and Lifetime Christmas movies uh and it was definitely something something different. you know i can't get into hallmark it's like it doesn't get to that trash trash i don't know which one this is whichever whichever company did north pole that was that was my favorite of like the right level of like this is insane (laughs) everything about this is insane yeah yeah i've uh i find that when we get into those tv those tv movie areas it's very surprising because like you'll like it feels like nobody is is watching the yeah. the production over the production so they can just do whatever the fuck they want mm-hmm. like absolutely insane shit it's happens chaos. It's in that chaos. space uh-huh. and, but because it's glossy and it looks like a soap opera and it's bright colored and overlit like the producers are like yep that fills the december 12th slot <laughs> <laughs> we have fulfilled our obligation to get people 30 30 uh, new christmas movies that month or whatever yeah we covered the christmas prince movies and it it felt like People that like marginally understood how movie plots work, but didn't understand characterization or motivation. So it's like, what if things just happen sometimes? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, obviously, I'm gonna have to like go back and listen to to that and get um, get ready for the Christmas season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, the last thing I, I can say about how insane we've gotten, and we're, this is actually telling telling you that we're pulling back from the level of insanity we were at last year. We were so excited about Spooktober last year and like hitting these crazy numbers and we weren't ready to quit. We did something last year called that we made up and recorded episodes on called Chris Timber, where we tried to watch 31 new to us Christmas movies. Oh, from, from the day after Thanksgiving to Christmas day. And we, uh, uh, we did that. We, I think I watched something like 45 or something like it was fucking nuts, and we were when we were recording our Spooktober episodes this year, uh, we were laughing about like, what the fuck were we? Th- <laughs> why did we do that? That's too many. Like, I watched something like three hundred new to me movies last year, and a hundred and fifty of them were either uh, horror movies watched during just October or Christmas <laughs> movies watched during the first few weeks of December. It was like it was one of those bingo hall, uh, you know, those bingo hall, whatever the thing they do that they rotate the bingo balls in the in the thing, and then like a, a ball comes out randomly. It was like that, but like every word was like uh, Christmas, Prince, 
tree cookies. <laughs> like, and it would just like it would just pop out some combination of one of eight words over and over again. It was like a, a Christmas tree for my prince. And, okay, I guess I, I guess that's how I'm spending eighty two minutes. I know it was like I was being close to being on an A and E show where like cameras come into my home and they're like, "Have you seen your kids?" I'm like, "No," but I'm watching everything the Muppets have ever done related to Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we will not be doing. We will not be doing because, as I've also we've also discussed, is the um, with Spooktober, I'm fine sitting and actually paying attention to uh, whatever 100 horror movies, 50 horror movies, whatever ends up being. I, I'm fine sitting and paying attention to them because I can make this like awesome like playlist where there's like something really intense and dramatic, and then something silly and stupid and light, and something that's like for kids, and then something dramatic again, and like something gloopy, and like kind of play around. For most of those Christmas movies, the tone doesn't change that much. So actually sitting and having to watch most of these movies, you're like, I feel like I already watched this. <laughs> yeah, I can't say I took as a thorough of notes with what titles y'all were watching. I just sort of let those recap episodes wash over me. <laughs> <laughs> I will say I'm still, as of this recording, very much looking forward to your Spooktober recap from this year. This episode will be going out after that's up, I believe. So what I want to know between now and then, and I'm sure I would just get this answer by waiting patiently, but um, what is like the number one, if you had to boil it down from those hundred something movies uh, that you watched this year, horror related, what is your like number one discovery from that tradition? I'll, I'll talk about what I actually think Peter and I have the same number one and number two. Uh, so I'll, maybe that's incorrect. Uh, but uh, my, my number one, and if this is your number one, Peter, I guess you can talk about the what, what I think my number two is. Uh, is a movie called The Seventh Curse, which I had really never heard of. It's this like horror movie by the director of I can't believe I'm blanking on the name, Peter. What's what the what's it's the, like the Ballad of Ricky O or something? Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. The story of Ricky O, Ricky O, the story of Ricky O, and it is. I, I talk a lot about on um, on our podcast um, about how much I enjoy like maximalism and like hey if you're doing a movie it's okay if you have like almost like ADHD like just throw a new idea every two minutes it's okay it just it just makes it <laughs> fun uh, one of the things when I was on your podcast uh, Brandon to talk about the monkey's head I talked about like they're just doing new things every scene it doesn't matter it's just fun uh, and the seventh curse was like that but like in this insane. Uh, I saw someone on, on Letterboxd describe it as like a cross between Alien, Predator, Rambo, and like every other 80s movie. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Oh, wow. And I, I think it does It does sit in there. It is, it's a movie that five minutes in, I was like, well, I'm going to fucking love this. And it only kept exceeding my expectations. It's just like, it's a bunch of people going to like cure AIDS by raiding this temple with this fucking leech demon slug monster. <laughs> There's like amazing choreography. There's just, I, I, I remember I texted Peter and I'm like, this movie said it was age 13 plus, but I'm pretty sure someone just cut off a, the top of their tit and fed it to someone. I'm not sure why. <laughs> I feel like they should take a second look at that rating they have on Amazon. But I loved it. It's The Seventh Curse. Uh, right now it's on Amazon. It's a movie that it's the only place it is is Amazon. And apparently it like it sometimes is there and sometimes isn't. Like it, it has no other distribution in this country. So it was a movie that the second I was done renting it, I went and bought it immediately on there. But would highly recommend seeking it out the second you hear this because it is fucking amazing. 
Does that have the same actor um, from Hard Boiled? Trinan Fat is in it. Yeah, Chinon he's like yes. the co-lead. Okay, okay. Whenever we did um, Hard Boiled for Swan Flicks' movie of the month, I like remember looking at his filmography and seeing that, and it looked very bizarre. <laughs> it's so good. Like it, it has that same. You know, I know you guys are covering Life Force on your podcast soon. I think it was like the third movie that we covered on ours and like the first movie i remember texting peter and being like drop what you're doing and watch this movie it has <laughs> that same kind of it has that same kind of energy as like it's a new movie every three minutes and all amazing okay. yeah it's like if um john woo and sam raimi made a movie together because like it's both of those things there's like big wild shootouts with guys on on wires getting yanked off of buildings but also like big weird monsters screaming and, and puking <laughs> blood like it's everything right great <laughs> evil dead hard-boiled something like that yeah um but yeah uh my my number one was actually from aaron um a recommendation from aaron i think from our previous year is uh over the garden wall from this year that was my number two for this year yeah oh okay yeah over the garden wall um which was a uh animated like uh sort of like a kid's uh fantasy horror adventure um every episode it sort of takes place in like a very like bucolic fall setting and every uh episode so so to speak every 10 minute episode of it which ends up being like an hour and 40 minute movie is uh, a different sort of monster there's like ghosts and werewolves and yada yada pumpkin man a gorilla on the loose yeah gorilla on the loose it's so so you've seen it brandon yeah, I watch this every single October. This is like the one thing I actually do repeat watch every year. I love it. I love it. it yeah, so I don't need to. I don't need to pitch it then. I'm sure you've already <laughs> pitched it on on your show. Then it's so it's, it's so great charming. spooky season mood setting. Like it really just like feels like fall on like no yeah. other piece of media. And the can soundtrack mean. just like warms my heart. Like I just I vibrate a little bit when they uh, start deploying one of their sort of heartwarming Pixar-y kind of songs, uh, but like <laughs> with an old old school fashion. Um, and then I want to name something that's like a little bit more of a like legit horror movie as well, which is The Medium, which came out this year. Um, it's on I'm Shutter. stoked about that one. So, so good. Uh, it's one of those movies that tries to do like five or six things and then it does all of them excellently. It's like a fantastic drama. It's a fantastic found footage movie. It's a fantastic exorcism story. It's it just everything it tries to do. It does amazingly. And it's fucking brutal. Like it's really dark. So, yeah, those would be my, my two if I had to condense. What about you, Brittany? Have you caught anything new this year? New to you? New to me. Um, a, a couple of them. But I think the one that stands out the most is the movie Angst from 1983. <gasps> yes. yes. I don't know how I happened across it, but I saw like that it was a home invasion movie and I'm a sucker for them because, you know, it's super lifetime, right? <laughs> <laughs> I wish Lifetime had that kind of camera work every single uh, oh my God. Lifetime movie. That'd be amazing. So, yeah, this was um, super unexpected. Like, I kind of dove into it, like, not knowing anything about it. And <laughs> nothing to me is, like, scarier than, like, A, something based on a true story. B, something based on a true story about a killer that just likes to kill and has no reason behind why they're killing. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> like the strangers. Yeah, yeah, it's spooky because it's like there's no reason, like there's no like weird trauma that they talk about from their childhood. There's no like you know head injury or something that turns them into like a, a psychopath. But like just the fact that this guy is like narrating it and is so like calmly talking 
about how much of like a human monster he is is like super super crazy and i just i love the the whole like setup of this movie how it's so plain like there's a lot of like these like you know like light blue tones and it it feels like you're in a, a holiday inn from 1980 the whole time like it's just so plain and everything is so clean and sterile looking and then the minute something violent happens just that like disruption of that like sterile clean environment with like the most bizarre gore that it just goes on and on without like you know like just those long shots of you know blood splattering from someone's neck it's crazy and it's it's so scary and also the um the synth in this movie so cold it's the same like beat where it's like and it it, like it amps up where it's like wait i'm like is this like the killing beat or is this the like i'm escaping the house that i just killed people in beat it's everything so i yeah i really liked it it was super creepy um the guy that plays the killer has I mean, bless his heart, but that face, he looks like he could bite someone's face off at any second. Like, he was born to play this horrible, horrible person in this movie. Oh, oh, absolutely. Man, it is, um, he has, it's sort of like if Klaus Kinski went through a replicator with a rat. Mm, yeah. Like somehow, yes, yes, yes. like I, I've talked about Klaus Kinski in that no, in the Nosferatu remake being rat-like. Oh no, this this guy is like Kla- if Klaus Kinski were an actual rat. God, yeah, that bone structure is so like rodent-like. The sweatiness <laughs> and the chewiness of the, of, mm. of the performance and his just like bare, unblinking eyes at time and the panic he has to the panicked compulsion to do these horrible things and like. Yeah, that movie that movie both rules and I don't know if I'll ever watch it again. Like oh, it's yeah. so I don't think so I'll watch good. it again. But yeah, cuz yeah. it's just it's not one of those that you'd be like, "Wow, I can't wait to get that on Blu-ray so I could rewatch it every couple of months." No. Unless you're Gaspar Noé so you can take a note on how the camera should move in your next movie cuz <laughs> like barred his entire roadmap in right, this one. Right. Also, I want to mention how like what made me the most nervous in this movie was the dog situation. And um, he did not kill that little that weenie dog lived and he actually ate diner food. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And that I'm like, okay, as long as as long as that little little angel's okay. Yeah, I felt I felt similarly (laughs) like the the movie is will treat everybody in it like they're just like meat for the gristle. And then somehow that dog makes it out. The dog seems designed to be murdered. I know because if, if the camera focuses on it so much, like he's killing everyone, and then it it'll like pan to like the dog under the covers, just wiggling around. And I'm like, oh god, he's gonna do something to this dog. I'm gonna freak out. And it just keeps like pushing you to think that it's gonna happen. But he's so sweet <laughs> with this dog. Sorry, I I wasn't paying attention at the beginning. This is the Eternals. <laughs> Yeah, I apologize. I said angst um, on accident. No, we're still yes. talking about Over the Garden Wall. Oh, I, I, I haven't got to episode 10 yet. Have you watched episode 11? They murder everybody they ran into. <laughs> so, yeah, that's like that's the big um, the big one that I'm taking away from this season. I just added to my list. I was actually not aware of it at all. Oh, oh angst. It's so good. 2022. So good. I'm already, I've already <laughs> added movies to a 2022 letterbox list. Yeah, I have a 2022. So yeah, pathetic. you gotta have a planning list. <laughs> we think this all comes together last minute. This insanity. <laughs> I think it's on Tubi for free. 
Yeah, I caught it. I caught it on Shutter at some point, but I caught it on Shutter. Yeah, yeah, it was great. So, Brandon, what about you? Well, most of like my favorite ones from this year, I've already like made other people watch for this (laughs) show or for the blog. Like uh, Bob Balaban's parents was a really big one for me. Love that one. That's so much fun. Yeah, and um, also Life Force. Obviously, like I was going to just sort of like watch it and write a review, and then immediately I was like, I need everyone to watch this. We're doing a whole movie of the month treatment for it. But the one that I have not mentioned on the podcast yet, I watched the summer called All Cheerleaders Die from 2013. It looks like total trash, uh, like mainstream horror, just complete garbage. It's directed by Lucky McKee, who oh, I don't I love know Lucky particularly McKee. well. He's like a mainstream horror guy, right? Like he's like part of that like Saw VHS kind of crew. No, I no, I think he's like one level below. I think he's like the indie version of that. Like because he, he did May. he did get to do a Masters of Horror episode that yeah. I really like called Sick Girl. Mm. I know Brittany likes May a lot. May is great. Yeah, yeah, May's good. Yeah, May was like my high school like go to movie gallery pick. Yeah, May is great, and then the woman is is very good though, very different from May. And the woman is weirdly now like a series. Like there's two other there's two sequels to Woman. Oh, not directed by him. Oh, odd. I need to check out more of his stuff because I was really into this one. It started as his first movie. He made a shot on video, just sort of like backyard movie with his friends about zombie cheerleaders. And it very much is like an early 2000s SOV film. And then I guess once he had a couple movies like May under his belt, like with actual professional budgets, he went back and remade All Cheerleaders Die in 2013. And it is a wild movie. Like it starts off as this like misogynist football team kills their cheerleader girlfriends to like stop their reputations from being tarnished. Uh, they just, like, drive them off the road and just sort of, like, <laughs> casually dispose of the bodies. It's really, like, harsh in a way that you wouldn't expect. And then the cheerleaders are resurrected with these magic crystals. And it's, like, uh, it's almost like Steven Universe. They have them, like, embedded in their bodies. And they're, like, <laughs> controlled by their, like, Wiccan friend who uh, is, like, conjuring, you know, these magic spells that she barely knows the power of. And then the cheerleaders come back as, like, we're goth now. And they, like, get their <laughs> revenge on the uh, bullies. <laughs> <laughs> Brittany, that's probably what you did at some point, right? Yes. You just emerged and said, we're goth now. Yeah, I, I yeah. literally remember waking up one day and being like, am I goth? <laughs> <laughs> There's also a lot of like lipstick lesbianism in the movie that's actually handled better than you would expect based oh. on like the marketing and the look of it. Uh, like the relationships are actually treated with serious romance and like heartbreak. I was just wowed by how much fun i was having the entire time throughout it i love that it teased a sequel that has not come yet but i think this movie is due for the same cultural reassessment that like jennifer's body has been getting this year Mm. which i I love jennifer's body what what i would say is like it's one fault is that there are so many other teen girl horror films that you should see before you bother with this. Like, you know, Jennifer's Body, Ginger Snaps, uh, Drop Dead Gorgeous, Teeth. Like, the list goes on and on and on of, like, things you should prioritize. But if you've already, like, exhausted all of the, like, better-known examples of, like, goth high school teen girl revenge horror films, All Cheerleaders Die is, like, way better than it looks. And um, my interest has peaked in this Lucky McKee fella now. I need to know what else he's up you to. You definitely should check out May and Sick Girl. You would like both of them quite a bit. You might you might be a little torn on the woman because it is a movie that's very much about like 
it's very much like an allegorical movie about misogyny. Um, and it has like a fantastic ending, but it is, it's a dark, dark journey. May and Sick Girl are way more fun and wacky and weird, I would say. This is somewhat tangential, but did you end up catching Till Death this year? No, um, Boomer reviewed that on the website recently, but I did not watch it. That's uh, Megan Fox's Return yeah, to Horror. Yeah, Return to Horror. Yeah, so like, <laughs> uh, just, you know, bring up Jennifer's body. If you, if you like seeing Megan Fox covered in blood... Highly recommended, uh, but it actually be, it became one of uh, uh, became a movie that everyone on our podcast doing the horror recaps ended up watching, um, and we all loved it. Yeah, it was a great rack. Uh, I think Aaron, you might have pushed me to watch it, and I, and and I looked at the cover on Netflix, and I was like, I would have never watched this yeah. unless someone recommended it to me. <laughs> I saw it on some website of like, no, this is really good, and I, I I watched it at the end of my first day when I was at my tenth, and I needed something that wasn't on my list. Um, to look at something different because even the covers get old after a while guys yeah if you if you if you very much like wa- attend your letterboxd list and make sure it's updated and yeah sometimes it gets a little much yeah i i uh also both of us this year to make it a little easier um we like ranked our movies from like best to worst and it was kind of a fun exercise because i like had all of the movies really fresh in my mind so, like, next year, if I want to remember, like, what the highlights were, I can just, like, click to the page and see, like, one, you know, box of ten movies with that I really loved. I did sneak a peek at those rankings, and I will say, at least on Aaron's list, because he watched the Willard movies last month, <laughs> it completely upended my plan for this conversation, because <laughs> <laughs> he and I had very different um, assessments of which ones of these movies are better <laughs> Over the others, you know, I, I know, and because I saw that you, um, I, th- you, I think you posted like a recap on like a horror thing of like, uh, I because re- I think you may have revisited both of these, uh, or at least Willard and Bad in the same night, and I bought Willard because it was like as cheap to rent, and then I'm like, oh well, Willard's gonna be the good one. And then I'm not going to like Ben, and I was the complete opposite. And I gotta Shocker. tell you, I didn't say that to Pete. And I was very happy just for like the tenor of this conversation, not because I need people on my side. When Pete was messaging me and goes, yeah, Ben rules. I'm like, thank God. <laughs> so here's your real rat war. Like this is the uh, dividing line is the Smoflix <laughs> versus we love to watch assessment of which is better. That's why we form ben. podcasts with each other, I guess. Right. <laughs> This is Willard, and these are his friends, Ben and Socrates. I'm going to have a big surprise tomorrow. Willard takes good care of them. What's that in your pocket? There's something in your pocket! And they will do anything for Willard. My assessment is that, like, all Willard movies are okay at best. I, like, yeah, I, um, yeah, we'll have to talk about why they disagree. occupy such a... <laughs> an important part of like like why they why they occupy such an important part of horror history despite being so weird they're weird i i mean i actually really like ben and i really like the remake but i well we can get into it here maybe right now i did not really care for the first one at all that's so surprising to me that's the best one i agree you think that's the best one yes, yes. over the crispin glover one yeah by far <laughs> I'm really interested to hear why. That shocks me because the Crispin Glover one is weirdly, in its own way, the trashiest of the three. Like Ben yeah. is obviously, Ben is obviously the the true trashiest one because it's <laughs> yeah. like 
Uh, did you know that the, uh, one of the rats survived? <laughs> I never thought that Swamp Flakes would go for it. Like, the first Willard is the prestige one. Like, it's the 12th. It made, like, yes. $130 million at the box office. It was up for Academy Award I mean, Award we have great tastes. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, like, I think I know why Brandon and I really dug it. And I think Brandon, and it could I could be wrong. The reason I dug it is the psycho bitty aspect of the mother <laughs> I saw was you so much in stronger. certain characters like I saw like oh Britney's gonna love this moment or Britney's gonna love this performance was it most of so, the yeah, ones I was with not, the old ladies I'm not surprised you're on my side of the uh, debate here <laughs> and it's definitely the psycho bitty aspect yeah, that yeah. Did that <laughs> and just how kitschy it is so I definitely agree with Aaron in that like the first one is the most reputable as a film. Like, there's genuine performances in it. I think that the both uh, Willard and the remake Willard Willards could be construed as <laughs> purely allegorical pieces. And you could be like, oh, there's not actually rats. Or, you know, if there are rats, they didn't do the murders. Like, you could construe this as some sort of, like... I think you could in the in the first one. I, I don't know how you could construe that in the... the- remake but the 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 idea is that like the the rats are not actually that important because the rats are like an externalization they're like symbolism for the darkness inside of willard that he's like kept he's kept bottled up um because he's been so repressed partially by himself partially by his mother partially by the shittiness of his of capitalism and his, his his uh you know demeaning job and you could like construe i think particularly the original as like that it's all kind of, if not in his head, then it's all just sort of like a symbolic externalization of like Willard's internal strife. And then the rats are just like sort of a, a rats in the wall style symbolism for like the, the, the problems we try and ignore. And then when they come out as these like explosions of rage, it's not pretty. Mm-hmm. And then Ben is just like, Rats can be cute and rats can be scary. That's all we got to say about rats. But what if there's more rats and it's an army? (laughs) Ben is like, what if, hold on, hold on. You thought there were a lot of rats last time. There's like, yeah, there's like 10 rats. What if, what if the rat, what if they shut down the fucking town because there's so many rats? What if Los Angeles was inundated with millions of rats just because Ben likes to fuck so much? And also, they're kind of suspecting for no reason a nine-year-old who plays with puppets who has a monkey heart or something. He's in control of all the rats. Like, like that... I was I was in love with all that shit because I'm like this is nuts. And then the movie ends with Michael Jackson singing a love song to the singing, rat. Hold on, singing a love song that in the movie the boy wrote <laughs> randomly on the piano one day. That I mean the the little boy in Ben was just like such an artist, and he was such a little artist. I I liked Ben. I didn't like him more than Willard, but I liked it. And my favorite parts of Ben were the puppet shows that this little genius would put on. And he would make the rat puppet twerk in front of Ben's face. Hold on. Hold on. I'm not trying to skip to the end. The movie won me all the way over. And I'm like, okay, this is just good. I don't know what level it's occupying (laughs) on, but this is just fantastic. After this, like... 
there's just cops just shooting at rats and like there's thousands of rats and this guy pulls out a gun in the sewer. Yeah. So, I don't know, take out one at a time or something. So anyways, <laughs> they they kill them all and the boy runs back to his toy shop or whatever he lives in. Um <laughs> and he goes and he grabs his like doll rat that he made of Ben and just starts hugging it and I'm like, "What the fuck?" This is so good. I was That's hoping the that it would movie? turn into like a real rat in the end. Oh, like I was Pinocchio. hoping. I was. I mean, I was happy when Ben showed back up, which is, I guess, heartwarming. Because then, yeah, the Michael Jackson Ben song plays, but it's also <laughs> like this brat also just led a murderous rampage and shut down a city. <laughs> it's so good. I, I, so I, good. I'm crying, laughing right now, thinking about the little, the little weird boy. The little weird genius boy putting on his little marionette show as rats are destroying Los Angeles. Oh my god, it's so good. There's, there's that part where he first meets Ben and he's like, he does a puppet show for him, then plays the harmonica, the then takes like opens up his shirt to be like, I got this scar. From, like, the, like, from my monkey heart. This? <laughs> my monkey heart. And then he's like, he's like, did you guys eat all that grocery store food? <laughs> like, it's, a, it's amazing, like... And it's also the Halloween 2 of killer rat movies because it picks off, like, picks up the day after Willard dies. <laughs> I thought well, that I was technically before replaying the movie. Because it like... shows you the Willard ending again. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's maybe where we should start. We should uh, we should maybe get into the plot of these two movies and how they bleed into each oh, other. Oh, should we? <laughs> I know, God. So, Brandon, whose job is it to walk through the plot of Willard? Because I think Willard 1971 and Willard 2000. Three, whatever the the Willard remake and the Willard original or the plot are pretty darn similar, minus mm-hmm. like a slight tweak in the ending. Yeah, yeah, and minus like in the original Willard, Willard as a character up until the end is maybe salvageable as a human being. Right. Two thousand. What two thousand three Willard's like? Nah, off the rails. Yeah. yeah, no chance for this guy. I think like that actually leads into the thing I was saying that this could all be like a symbolism about like the dark heart of this like incel guy. Because like the movie begins with Willard's mom yelling at him to go deal with the rats in the basement. <laughs> yeah. And he sees like some rat poop. And then he gets more stressed about it as she yells at him. And then suddenly <laughs> the rats start to grow. And like he's, it's the complaint that people have about the Jack Nicholson Shining where you know, the Stanley Kubrick shining because of Jack Nicholson, I should say, um, because they say like, oh, he's crazy from the start. There's nowhere for him to go, which is like kind of what Kubrick was doing, because it's about somebody who is an abuser when the movie begins. And Stephen yeah. King was like, no, he's a good guy. Got his he's cleaned up his hands a little bit. You know, he made some mistakes in the past, but he's a good guy. And, and Kubrick was like, no, he's still a nut job. Have you read the end of your own book? But it's based on me. It's based on me, Stanley. You saying I'm a bad dad just because I push my kid around a little bit? I think there's some wisdom in casting Crispin Glover in the Willard remake because, like, nobody is going to believe Crispin Glover as sort of a harried office clerk that you, like, re-root for. You're just going to be like, well, when's this, when's this weirdo going to start killing people with rats? Yeah, I, I found that to be the same casting difference between Anthony Perkins as Norman Bates versus, like, Vince Vaughn as yes. Norman Bates. Like, Anthony Perkins is playing... For the most part, like a normal everyday American, and it's like shocking that like this, you know, straight laced mama's boy is actually like a, a creep. <laughs> um, and then Vince Vaughn is putting in such a like Crispin Glover type performance yeah. in the, the Psycho remake, yeah. where it's like you would clock him as someone to avoid immediately and just back out of that motel. Yeah. 
I actually don't think there's a lot of plot to really run down here <laughs> because <laughs> it's more of a premise than a plot. Uh, basically, Willard it's a vibe. is yeah, Willard is a vibe. No, uh, Willard is a put upon office drone. Works a desk at a company that his father created. And then when his father died, the company fell into another man's control instead of his. So he's just like a regular, like minimum wage office drone. He works long weekends and uh, just after hours, un- uncompensated. And his boss just really tries to wear him down. The boss is played by Ernest Borgnine, which is like the closest thing to a celebrity in this film. <laughs> and he also goes home to a mother who, like Brittany said earlier, is in pure psycho bitty mode in this time in her life. Mm-hmm. She's like bedridden, um, rings a little bell every time she wants him to run a chore for her. Um, <laughs> and he like has to like hop to it. <laughs> And they live in this, like, big mansion built on their father's company's money that is going, like, Grey Gardens in its older age because there isn't a staff to take care of it while he's at this, like, 40-hour-a-week job, plus all the extra hours he's working and then doing all these chores for his mom. There's no one really to take care of the house, so it's falling into decay. His boss is pressuring to sell the house to him (laughs) as, like, a uh, final fuck you, I'm taking over everything that your dad built. And Willard eventually just shrinks into his hobby, which is um, training these rats that have been uh, hoarding all over the property. And then he eventually trains the rats to kill his boss. Um, And he trains them a little too well because they realize that through collective action, they can become the king rat and they uh, overpower Willard and kill him. Wait, don't forget about his two buddies. He's got two leader rats, an angel and a devil. A little white rat named Socrates and a gigantic black rat named Ben. Hopefully no actual racial implications. I felt uncomfortable with that distinction. Oh, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> I don't know how well thought through that was or just like back in the psyche. But like white equals good. Black equals bad, which is kind of how they were coded. Yeah, Unfortunately. So- Socrates is the uh, sophisticated uh, rat out on the town. Uh, ben is <laughs> rat this about town. brute. This rat about town. <laughs> Look, you can say, this goes for the next movie. Actually, it goes for all three movies. But, like, if you told me you could get a rat to glare before watching these movies, I would probably, (laughs) I'd probably walk away because I wouldn't know why that was coming up in conversation in any capacity. (laughs) But I I will say, like, those those rat handlers, wranglers, they make that bed rat glare very well. I think that, like, Ben was, he's like a different breed of rat like all the other rats were like the same but ben was like a larger breed in general so that's kind of like why he stands out and he does prove himself to be even smarter than socrates because he's the one that outwits willard and uh takes over the home Mm -hmm. and it's also like see you should listen to me (laughs) uh and then like you said uh halloween 2 style the Closing seconds of Willard are the opening seconds of Ben. Like, it just immediately picks up where Willard leaves off. Uh, The movie came out a year later and honestly has even bearer of a plot. Like, all the rats relocate down the street to a child's house named Danny. (laughs) And uh, Ben, in particular, makes, like, good friends with Danny. And uh, Danny has a heart condition where he can't get overexcited. Uh, and his only friend in the world, because he's so isolated because of this like medical condition, is this gigantic killer rat. <laughs> and then, basically, there's the two separate parts. There's Danny in his playroom, and there's Ben leading the rat army around the city. 
eventually being flamethrowered to death in the sewers beneath Los Angeles. Yeah, because the city doesn't have the budget for all the bullets it was going to take. <laughs> right. <laughs> That might take a while, too. Uh, just one at a time. <laughs> the last 40 minutes of the movie is just just one cop unloading a gun into every rat. I don't know why, but I love the fact that just the this mountain of rats went to this little boy's house. That is the one like smart idea in Ben to me. Uh, and the one thing I appreciated about it was... Uh, the ecological disaster of living on the same street as Willard. (laughs) 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 Like the aftermath of someone collecting that many rats and like training them to be like problem solvers and then just dying and like letting that be the neighborhood's problem. I thought that was a great idea. Well, there is a little bit like in all, in all of these movies where everyone, it, it happens in Ben happens in Willard where all the other characters have to be like, well, this all seems suspicious, but I'm assuming he's not controlling a rat army. <laughs> <laughs> By Ocom's razor. Yeah, like, they're, he probably just, the rats moved in and he couldn't control them. I don't think he's controlling a rat army, do you? There is sort of a environmental message in Ben that, like, because Ben can cohabitate and has no malice towards the rats, um, and he's not using them as weapons, like, he's he gets along great with the rats, but in both the Willard movies, he tries to make them, like, disposable assassins and then turns on the rats. Then <laughs> that's, like, that's seen as the point of no return. He's got a weird sadomasochistic relationship where he's just like, you're good, Socrates. You suck, Ben. That's that's kind of Willard's whole thing. But Danny does sick the rats on that bully. Which, I mean, in fairness, that bully sucks and is deserving of getting rats sicked on him. But Danny's not innocent. To me, Danny innocent. I want to talk about where they cross a line like in the remake it's very clear when willard crosses a line first five i minutes. guess that one spot in ben where he like six the rats on his bully yeah that crosses a line i don't know where the original willard crosses a line for me and this is like my main defense of this is my favorite film of the bunch is that like i was disturbed by how much I related to Willard as a oh character God, in the original film. It's so crazy how, like, on the same page we are with this. Because, yes, like, <laughs> okay, like, Willard in Willard Willard is so meek and, like, sh- you know, I-, I-, I guess I'm like that, too, where it's like, I'm like, okay, sure, I'll do whatever. I don't care. I don't, you know, whatever. He has that attitude, that meek ag- attitude from beginning to end. Like, he doesn't like go off the rails which he does in the remake and which little psycho and ben kind of does too like they they step into that territory but he doesn't he just kind of coasts i guess his one sin is that he like disciplines ben and uh you know treats socrates as like a higher class than ben but for the most part i just saw myself and this guy who was miserable about having a desk job and then goes home and is miserable about having to do chores and having to like do more and more labor at all the times uh, in his life and has no moment of solitary pleasure for himself. And instead of like addressing these problems and trying to make them better, what he does is he recedes into this weird hobby that takes up most of his time. And like watching him train these rats, it was like, this is like me alphabetizing my DVDs mm-hmm. at home or something. Yeah. Like yeah. I just saw like, 
him um, just overwhelmed by responsibility and finding it easier to just play with his rats all day. And uh, I, I related to that to an alarming degree. I agree. I agree. And also, I think I think that the original movie is kind of modeled after more after the the post psycho model of uh, serial killer movies, which is that they're really just it's it's sort of like the way people talk about Ed Gein, where it's like it's it's really just somebody who with the proper support and with the proper care they could have been a very kind and, and sweet and like you know uh contributing like a, in, a, in not in a, a capitalistic way but in like a like uh, a kindness and in, in a love kind of way to society like they could have been somebody because in the 70s before halloween that was kind of the mode of thrillers like even psycho 2 it like greatly reclaims norman as like a sweetie who was mistreated and abused so much that he just he broke and he just needs proper care like he's not even the villain in psycho 2 it's a pretty cool movie and then in 1978 onward basically the model switched to like the killer is faceless the killer has if any motivation an extremely limited one and you no longer can like understand or humanize the killer very easily and, like, I think that what they're doing here is actually very clever, where it, it almost, like, this one, and then particularly Ben, it almost feels like a 60s Disney family comedy, where, like, yeah, it's, yeah. About, it's about a lonely kid bonding with a monkey. A lonely kid and his dog going on adventures. And then towards the end, there's, like, a moment of terror for them both to solve together. And then at the end of the movie, they probably he probably has to get rid of the monkey because the monkey has to live in nature and he has to live in society. He has to give and... his heart to, to Danny. Yeah. Like, or, like, or like um, what's, the, what's the 80s? Uh, Harry and the Hendersons. Mm. Like, I'm seeing corollaries between Psycho, yes, but I'm as much seeing corollaries between movies about children bonding with animals in Willard because he's such an innocent and and has just had no space to grow into his own person. And so I also like identified with Willard quite a bit and like only in the first one do I think that that is that like a functional arc. Like he goes from you know kind of a pathetic guy and you're like oh, just fucking keep your chin up dude like try a little bit to like oh yeah this guy's really caged in to like oh yeah he should take vengeance on his enemies. And then the point where Willard loses me at both times is when he turns on the rats. He wants to make yeah. them disposable assassins and they're no longer friends to him. And that's where I think Ben has its advantage, which is that like... Danny sticks by his boy. Yeah, D- D- <laughs> Danny Danny, Danny sticks by, by his, his rat friends. And I think Willard is a is a bad friend. I you know he had no friends, and then a girl showed a little bit of attention for him, and he murdered his boss. And he's like, you know what? I want to go back to being no having no friends. Like that doesn't make any sense. But you know what? He saved that cat. <laughs> he saved that cat more than you can say for other Willard. Later Willard, mm. new Willard, <laughs> Willard two hyper Willard. That's a little bit my take too, just because like. I'll also admit that I, I mean, I watched this movie as a horror movie after I'd seen a hundred other horror movies. It's <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not going to say that's like the best time for like a low key character drama. And maybe if I watched it outside of that, I would appreciate some of that part more. I think, Peter, you actually called out one of the things I really don't like about this era of movies. I think like this era of horror movies where it's pre-Halloween, pre-Texas Chainsaw Massacre, even pre like Jaws has like 
this it, they almost have like almost no identity like not the identity of even like the 40s and 50s oh there's monsters universal monsters or alien monsters and like we're we're having fun with uh, in the good ones the this idea of like people playing gods or a haze code metaphor for alcoholism or something and in the kind of cheesy ones you still have a monster taking down a city or something like that and you know i think for like for this, it just has this, like, I think this complete tonal and lighting and, like, stylistic confusion that just doesn't work. It It's almost, I've never seen it, but I've seen clips of it that the director of this movie made Our Man Flint, which is almost like a James Bond parody ripoff that, It's you know, very when, boring. Well, yeah, it's boring, and when you see, like, images from it, it looks like an overlit TV show. I was actually surprised to hear y'all describe this as a prestige film, because I thought it looked like a made-for-TV movie. It does look like it. looks like a made-for-TV movie. It has almost no style speak of this. The sets do, do look like like extraordinarily like cheap, cheap sets. I think uh, I think the acting is generally pretty good, but like Ernest Borgnine is like a TV ham who's like right. who's like being the boss and stuff like that. And like, but no, that like this was a prestige movie at at the time, and I think it just has no style to speak of. So that like. Even that I the, the the movie that you're describing, you know, Brittany and Brandon of like this just sad boy who doesn't even have the energy to fight back and so you're just living him like expand all his energy with like rat training in lieu of literally any other good in his life. Like that movie sounds really good to me, but I just like it, with between the jaunty music and the terrible cinematography and everything else, like I get that on paper from the movie, but when I'm watching the movie, I just feel like, yeah, this has some interesting ideas and I'm just incredibly uninterested in most things that are happening on screen. And I think that, you know, like I'm, I'm, it's not engaging to me in the way even like a sad character drama should be. I had remembered that both this movie and Ben were very boring to me when I watched them probably about like 10 or 15 years ago. I had remembered basically the way you're describing it. And I think maybe I'm rating this Willard like so high among these three movies because I was just shocked by how engaged I was by it. Maybe it is because I had more of like a horror expectation of it the first time. And this time I expected it to be boring, but like something that was just thrilling to me was all the character actors, especially at the birthday party at the beginning Uh, um, with Uh. the, the elderly mother and all her friends. I was like, this is the psycho bitty realness I need in my life. Especially the nosy neighbor friend who keeps butting her way into the house and is like just fascinating to look at and a, totally a Britney character. Like this is the kind of character I would expect you to fall in love with. So like this, the the birthday party and the friend group and Willard inspired my like Halloween costume. It was kind yes. of like between <laughs> like that group of people and Miss Roper from Three's Company. Like it was in the middle, but yeah. Like, so first of all, his mother is Elsa Lanchester. Like she was the bride of Frankenstein. She was Katie Nana from Mary Poppins. (laughs) It's one of those things that once you see it, you're like, oh, I got it. She's very distinctive lips. So Brandon, I know you like murder by death. She's in it. She plays uh, Jessica Marbles. Oh, so she's like the uh, British crime novelist yes right yes yeah so what i love so much about her character even though she's not in the movie the whole time is she's not like off like she's not like oh willard you piece of shit 
You know what I mean? She's not like that, but she does give off that energy to him, but she does it in such a manipulative way that it's great. Ugh. It makes me hate people so much. Like, just the, the way that they pile more and more stuff onto his plate in this, like, you wouldn't mind, would you, kind of mm-hmm. way. Like, it makes me hate humanity and love rats, because the rats do not ask anything of him. They ask for food. <laughs> that's it. Right, that's like it. Like, that that's moment it. at his birthday party where it's like, wow, what a day to celebrate this guy. And they're like, oh, you're not vice president yet? What are you doing? And he just, like, is yeah. overwhelmed and grabs his cake and runs out to the rats in the yard. What a nightmare birthday party. So you right. come home from a job that you fucking loathe, and then... It's not your friends over, but they're calling themselves your friends. It's your, it's the people it's your, your mom thinks It's your mom, is. yeah. It's, and then, like, it's like a three-year-old's birthday party for a grown-up. These yeah. are your friends. And that woman who keeps, like, inserting herself in his life. Yes. She reminds me so much of the neighbor from the, you know, Franklin Mint Collector from um, Serial Mom. She reminds me oh, of yeah, her a for lot. Sure. Just like this, you know, this pest of a woman and i love that <laughs> and they keep asking him why he doesn't want his boss to come over to his birthday party like <laughs> even though it's like the one person that like ter- terrorizes him the most right. in his life and then there i would even like say no i was gonna say when his mom dies the funeral and they're just like shoving food in their mouth like they haven't eaten in years like they're acting like rats when rats eat they're just like Somebody was walking around with like a ham sandwich and they're like, oh, and then they are grabbing food with their other hand while they're just pushing sandwiches in their mouths after like his mom's dead. It's what's hilarious is that's exactly what I was about to say was that (laughs) the way that people eat in this movie are absolutely fucking disgusting, like from the birthday cake (laughs) to the ham sandwiches. And then the rats eating is this like really calming ASMR. Yeah, classy, delicate. Cheap, I've cheap, talked cheap. about this a lot with, like, I have a thing with listening to people eat, especially with their mouth open. Like, mouth closed, I'm fine. But, like, when people eat with their mouth open and I can hear, like, food between their teeth, like, it mm-hmm. drives me up a fucking wall. I have whatever that is. But the thing is, when my dog eats his food and it's like, humch, 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 it's like my favorite sound in the entire world. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. he's having a great time. He's enjoying his kibble. But, like, if I heard, like, my wife, who is, like, the love of my life, and she can do no wrong, no wrong in my eyes. <laughs> like, like, but I hear her like chew cereal a little too loud. I'm like, I'm gonna go live in the backyard <laughs> <laughs> with my rats. <laughs> with our rats, only the dog can crunch. <laughs> <laughs> and then personally, like speaking about Ben, um, the way that y'all are describing it out loud, I'm having the same effect that um, Aaron's having with Willard. We're like. All of the events and like the plot points that you all are like latching onto that sound insane. I found that movie so boring again on rewatch where like there's just not as much dialogue. Um, so it's a lot of like uh, watching Ben lead by example in these like uh, nature footage shots. And I just found like that it was like two movies at once. Like there was the Ben army and then there was me like babysitting this child <laughs> who... Uh, was not cloying to me, but more just boring. But, like, the last, like, 40 minutes of Ben is just, like, a rat war. Whereas, right. like, with Willard, there is one kill. Two, I guess, two including Willard himself. So there's Willard. two there's two yeah. kills. And, like, <laughs> Ben sets itself out. It's like, this is a horror movie. We're making yeah. a horror movie. We're making a trashy horror movie about killer rats. Like, it, it's a more self-aware kind of alligator 
you know, post birds uh, kind of thing. Like it's like you know, alligator animal or attacks. When animals, but attack. the genius idea to make a nine-year-old kid with a monkey heart be the <laughs> protagonist. Yeah, and and the kid is the kid is like I would normally find these kids so cloying and annoying in this, but like I I love this kid. He's just a, like a little fucking weirdo. He's an has, artist. He has no friends except for like his older sister. He mostly spends time <laughs> playing with his marionettes, and he has a fucking blast just coming up with little songs like i usually would find this character so loathsome and in this movie for some reason i like find it like so funny when he's just like making up little songs and some of them are like uncomfortably professional great and his mom's like you should go to bed you have a weak heart and his sister's like bro are you listening to this like yeah it sounds like he just wrote a number one single should we say anything to anyone did you read the background that it wasn't supposed to be Michael originally? Was it supposed uh, to be? Yeah, I mean, it was written for. Danny? Well, he didn't write it, obviously. Yeah, so it was written for. It was, it was written originally for the actor Danny, um, but it was uh, it was written originally for someone else, and then Donny Osmond turned it down. Oh, thank God! And then it went to Michael, and then when Michael got it, it was like the first number one hit. He's the third youngest person to get a number one hit because of ben and one of the people that beat him was donny osmond because uh michael was 13 and donny osmond was 12 when he got his hit yeah and he uh he um when he performed this at the academy awards which he lost he won the the, this song won the golden globe but he lost the academy award to something i think relatively stupid if i remember um (laughs) but he his voice had changed he couldn't even hit these notes anymore, and so he had to lip sing the performance. Ooh, I bet his I bet his dad really raked oh. him over the coals for that. Oof. Ugh, yes. He had a rough childhood. There's a whole TV movie about it, Peter. Yes, I've seen it. Um, Me too. So, it was a three-night event. <laughs> on VH1. <laughs> now, kind of piggybacking off of that, and like what you were saying early, Peter, like how... This kind of also gives off, well, Ben gives off this, like, Harry and the Hendersons kind of vibe. Like, (laughs) was this movie, like, the fact that they had a a song sung by a child for it, like, was it marketed (laughs) more as, like, a family drama? No! Than, like, a horror movie? it's marketed as a horror, it's, you know, it was marketed as a horror movie. It did terribly, by the way, like, Willard was a huge success. Okay. Because I didn't look into it, and I'm like, were they trying to pass this as, like, a wholesome drama for the whole family? No, but I mean, here's the thing about movies at that time, like, like, I know that we all get a little bit, uh, and I would agree with this, like, you look at the, you know, top 25 uh, movies at a box office in a given year, and you're just seeing franchise, 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 blah, blah, blah. It gets a little bit mm-hmm. samey, and I know uh, Brandon especially, I know you uh, and Peter, too, in some ways are, like, not not a fan of a lot of those movies. So I'm sure, like, the, the 70s and the 80s, when you look mm-hmm. at those box over office numbers, they're, they're more fun. They're definitely more fun to look at, even if the movies are, are somewhat hilarious sometimes but like when you look at like the top grossing movies from 1971 or some shit like which i did for this it's always fucking hilarious and when you adjust it for inflation it usually gets uh it gets even funnier like the the highest grossing movie of um of 1971 when this came out this made 130 million willard made 130 million dollars just for for uh inflation it was the 12th highest grossing movie of the year mm-hmm. um the number one grossing movie of the, of the year um it was uh, was billy jack 
Wow. Which mm. made $700 million. Never heard of that movie. $700 million adjusted for I only know it from Nathan Rabin punchlines. Is that a Western? It. it sounds like a Western. It's a, it's, sort of. It, it was a terribly reviewed movie. Apparently, even like for 1971, they're like, well, this is terribly racist. It made $700 Ooh. million. Dollars oh, my God. Adjusted for inflation. It's sort of a modern Western about a, well, it's a white actor playing a uh, Native American. Oh, um, wow. Solving various injustices around the West, um, but it's modern. Okay. $700 million. Wow. Amazing. So yeah, so Ben though, like, not was marketed as a horror. See, Willard was marketed as a horror movie. Like, again, it's just it's it, it's a weird era, I think, of American horror movies where it's like, if a scary thing happens, I guess it's a horror movie. So the fact that like rats do kill one person and it's kind of a sad movie and it ends in a tragedy, theoretically. Um, it's, it's a horror movie. This one, they really leaned into like the evil rat is back. And now he's like, he has control over a child. So they really like from a marketing perspective, from a poster perspective, they leaned into this. Like I watched an old, I found an old preview of, and it's like, Ben the rat like (laughs) and then the theme song is fucking michael jackson singing about his best friend and that's how the movie ends because it's not they say they say it's over the end credits which is like accurate but like the one of the final shots in the movie and this is like the end of the movie like weirdly made me tear up and i used to be a very hard movie crier like i used it used to be very hard to make me cry um (laughs) i started tearing up at the end because it's this little boy who's just like doesn't know what to do with all of this energy. He loves this rat so much. He didn't know these rats could be so damaging. And now he just wants to spend one moment with this rat that, like, they clearly love each other. Ben didn't come back to murder him. Like, Ben, ben came yeah. back because he he also loves Danny. And they're having this moment together. And then Michael Jackson, who had, like, one of the most famously beautiful voices for a kid start singing and like my eyes started watering and this is a movie that i was like fit this is a movie that like uh 10 minutes earlier 10 minutes i was i was cheering every time rats would overcome one of the city workers oh yeah (laughs) i was very uh, i was rooting for the rats this entire movie pro rat just give la to the rats it's fine I was I know it's kind of marketed as like the rats have taken over a nine year old or some some shit like that, but like I don't know on any level how you cannot think of this movie as like designed for the humans to be villains and for the rats to be the protagonist because the ending scene where Ben shows up kind of bloodied and battered and they hug and sing a love song to each other. Like, if you're not supposed to be rooting for Ben's murderous rampage and Danny to be in control of a rat army. I think you made the wrong movie. (laughs) I wonder if there's like a certain element of just like being icked out by rats that was more prevalent in the seventies than it is now. But I was reading, so I was reading um, New York times reviews of Willard and Ben. And I read some of the era reviews as well. And people were saying the same shit that we've been saying in the chat, which I think is now is probably time to have that conversation, which is that like, I know every shot of the rats is supposed to be somewhat terrifying unless they're cuddling. Every shot of a rat attack is supposed to be terrifying. But like most of the time, I'm just like, I mean, they're soft and fluffy and they're little rats. Like I love rats. I had a gerbil growing up. (laughs) And like even reviews at the time were like, yeah, a million of anything is going to be a little scary. A million bishops (laughs) would be scary. So it's more like a Night of the Leapest thing where like they thought they could make bunnies scary by making them big. 
But uh, those up close shots of those rabbits um, are mostly just very adorable in that film. Yeah, there's also a um, there's a movie Attack of the Killer Shrews. I, and I remember finding the horror totally unconvincing because they're supposed to be like big shrews. Just people that like tear throwing apart. puppies at people. Yeah, it's people that put like more fur and bigger ears on dogs and then have dogs chase actors. Half the shots, I'm like, this is adorable. He's just this little German Shepherd. It's just like this little German Shepherd's just like, I guess I'm in a movie today. <laughs> and I guess that's where we we talk about probably here, Brandon. I think that's where you are walking us, like. Do you all think rats are inherently scary? What are your feelings on rats generally? Because I think that's important to talk about, right? I do think rats and mice and like gerbils and ro- like, you know, we have guinea pigs and the guinea pigs are that we have are hilarious and funny. Mm. I love that when when I walk by and I'm not feeding them, but it's close to feeding time, they'll start like, you know, standing on their hind legs and start like noticing like, wait a sec, is it coming? Is it is it happening? They have cute faces. Uh, like I... I I have nothing against uh, any sort of rodent. I will say I was telling a story uh, in the in the green room before we started. Like, I do have a different perception having had a mild mice infestation in my house <laughs> at one point. Where all of a sudden, like, any sort of goodwill I would <laughs> that I would give to any animal changes when they are uh, like. You get that feeling of like they're coming out of the walls. <laughs> How do I get rid of them? Like then it kind of changes the dynamic a little. So I feel like I have no problem with rats unless I had a rat infestation in my house, and I probably would think think about it a little differently. Yeah, I recently caught three mice in my house. We have little mouse traps, and last year I caught a bunch of them until we figured out where they were coming in from, which just took a while because I had just bought my house, so it was like. Where the fuck are you coming from? I don't know anything here. You know this better than me. And it was a painful exercise getting rid of the bodies every single time. And one time I had to like put one out of its misery and, and I had to do one again this year. It's just, They're so cute. They're so cute. And I like had to do a very uncomfortable task to put one out of its misery because oh the God. trap had broken its back. And I don't want to get into any more of it because it's traumatizing. But like... They're so cute, but it's that weird thing where because we're butting up against nature mm-hmm. always, always, you can't just like put them back outside because they'll just like come back in and you can't like go drop them off in a field because they'll just instantly die because they don't, that's not how mice work. Like mm-hmm. they slowly travel as generations across places and like set up food and set up communities. Otherwise they just kind of starve or get eaten. So it, it's like... I think they're so cute and I think rats are really cute. I've been in the room with a rat, but like the context obviously matters. Like if you see one crawling, you know, in a back alley near you, it's going to scare you because similar to the jump scare principle, just anything moving fast in the dark is scary. Mm-hmm. But we did talk about like those weird bear tails are <laughs> there's something to adjust to. It's the fleshy tail. Yeah. That whole like butthole genital area <laughs> is like very protrusive are you a doctor (laughs) that general butthole area (laughs) it's wrinkly and bulbous and uh, that's where they get most of their tumors like if you ever have a pet rat they get tumors very badly um and i feel like that is an underutilized um angle on the rat body in these films if you really wanted to gross people out you should be like focusing on the tail end because it gets really like disgusting back there but from the the face end you're like Look at this little guy. He's so sweet. And like, Mm. even when the shots where they're like, the rat's like staring at somebody like mischievously or like, 
Oh, what are you going to do? You're just a little rat. What are you going to do? Yeah. Willard 2 butt stuff. <laughs> butt stuff. <laughs> then you see that butthole area and it's a different story. Even Willard's like, no, thank you. What is not up for debate is how cute the marionette version of Ben is that Danny oh, created. Yeah. Oh, I would. That is the most that, adorable so object. Of that that little that freak makes it. some great puppets. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he's good with the movements of the rat as well. Except whenever he gyrates the butt part of it too much. You did call it out. It is twerking. You called it earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I just like, uh, you kind of get a little bit like, he definitely doesn't get the kind of like artistic appreciation I feel like his mom and his sister should be giving him. But I do, <laughs> I do think it kind of comes to a head a little bit when there is a rat army terrorizing the city. And they're like, hmm. Our kid is writing Academy Award winning songs and uh, making a whole marionette like Howdy Doody fucking set downstairs. Maybe he's controlling a rat army? Like it's not out of the realm of possibilities. I do love it. I love it. I think that is the thing. Like I just maybe it's just what I needed. Like I um you know, and, and there is something about just watching this in the milieu of all these horror movies that like I just kinda loved all of that. Like I agree it's not like necessarily good in the sense that like it has a lot to say besides would it be weird if a kid controlled a rat army like but it hits those kind of things of insanity well just insane choices in a plot to a movie and i think one of the reasons i really like horror sequels and like the best versions of our horror sequels is like a lot of times they take a premise that just has nowhere to go but because of money try to make something different and and the best ones of those are the ones that just land on something that's completely fucking nuts one of the things that i just watched in in spooktober like i tried to get through all the uh, friday 13th movies i had never seen so at this point i'd seen them all and almost all of those are just boring as shit it's that kind of like jason kills campers and sometimes they make it a little more interesting and sometimes a little funny but it's like people sticking to the template and my favorite of those movies i always like jason x we talked about it in our podcast at one point but the one i kind of discovered loving that everyone hates this time around is jason goes to hell which is an example of them going look we have to make another one of these we are out of ideas and instead of making like a friday the 13th movie they make a movie about a weird demon worm that possesses it's people and like yeah it's so much fun i like when he goes to manhattan too that's my absolute favorite <laughs> is jason takes manhattan yes. It's mostly Jason takes a boat trip, yeah, exactly. but it's still a fantastic <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> film. Uh, but, like, I, I love, like, that is one of the reasons why, like, Spooktober can be so much fun. Mm-hmm. Because you're you're discovering these movies that just exist because all they need to do is make $3 million or whatever in their success. And you have all this fucking, like, insanity that drips in. And, and like... Ben is the perfect example of them having no idea what to do with a sequel where your protagonist, that's like a, yeah, like a psycho template, our sad boy who made friends with the rats dies, and they just have no idea what to do, and like what comes out of that isn't that like the best version of that, but it just, they make so many insane choices that the movie like becomes good. And so like seeing everything of like Danny being obsessed with the rats but also just a good friend to them and like you know peter to your point like he never turns on them like there's not this thing i expected this movie about a rat that terrorizes a kid kind of like ben eventually does to willard in the original they are simpatico 
the entire time. They are good. It does not matter that they're taking over the city or killing other people or shutting down uh, the interstate. Like, all Danny wants to do is get his rats back and put on a puppet show for him. And that's the perfect kind of insanity I love from these, like, oddball horror sequels that come out. I could also see how if your favorite thing about these movies is that 70s live-action Disney aesthetic having to mold to this, like, gross-out horror (laughs) template that they're messing with, like, Ben is a better example of, like, how bizarre that combination of aesthetics is. Willard, the first one, is more interesting to me as, like, a a psycho-bitty, post-psycho movie where I found the protagonist relatable which usually, like, in those movies, I find the uh, psychotic women fabulous, but not someone that I see myself in. Um, in this case, I saw their victim as, like, that's me, but, like, worse. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, like, my worst impulses and my worst, like, brain functions. I think one of the interesting things about 70s and er- some early 80s horror movies also is, like, we're talking about how it's a strange beast, how, like, it's very clearly a kid's movie, but also at times it's like a straight up like it's like chud level. Like there's like gunfights and flamethrowers and shit in the sewers. Like and it, it, what it really reminds me of is like, yes, as Aaron said, like it's um, sometimes people just aren't paying as close of attention on sequels. Um, they, they're, they're fine just kind of uh, letting something crazy happen as long as the budget is in bounds. But also... <laughs> The thing that, like, okay, so there's a article published a couple of days ago about, uh, in early November, maybe late, late October, about how, like, Eternals has the first sex scene in the MCU, and Eternals has some of the most uh, outright gay exchanges in the MCU. I imagine those aren't related. I imagine it's, like, a gay guy and another <laughs> gay guy kiss once, and then they go back to fighting scorpions or whatever they do in those movies. And, and then uh, I imagine it's a cis straight couple probably having the sex scene but um people are making such a big deal out of it and i'm like i grew up with just in the 90s not that long ago with just like every pg-13 movie had some amount of sex in it Mm -hmm. it was some every and it was like there was always these like these big adventure movies and they could be terrible they could be great but like they allowed these sort of like adult themes to enter in and now We've become so calculated in how family movies and, like, which target audience you're going after that, like, you can't make these strange beasts anymore as a big-scale movie because producers will be like, well, we need to make sure that everything in the script and everything in the final edit is perfectly attuned to these audiences, and we need to make sure we don't piss off the Chinese market by doing this, and yada, yada, yada. Yeah, I'm sure that gay kiss is easily ed- able to be edited out of the Russian and Chinese Yeah, I think they're film. still figuring, I think Disney's still figuring that out as of the episode. I actually just saw an article today that said that they weren't going to do it, and they weren't going to edit it Good out. for them. Good. Finally, they did one cool thing with their power. Yeah, it's the company with the like least amount to lose, and they're like usually the like first one to walk on eggshells with that shit. Yeah, it's it's insane. Um, but yeah, my my point is that like so much of these these movies can be so calculated, and and back in the seventies and early eighties, like you would have these strange beasts that don't feel like they have an audience because they weren't designed that way. They were like, well, we'll have a kid, and so we should have those scenes be really sweet, and then we'll have monster scenes. Well. We should have the rat attacks actually be kind of intense, right? So they're actually scary. And then the movie just comes out. 
There's no uh, focus group testing to make sure that kids found it relatable enough, that uh, horror nerds found it uh, horror-y enough. Yeah, I mean, most they were they were really investing in the soundtrack for this one. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back, it it is still pretty insane that they got Michael Jackson. Actually, I don't I don't think that's true in 19. I mean, I'm not trying to like. I mean, this is before like rock with you and like he becomes the biggest pop star in the world. Yeah, I'm not saying that they got him as in like they got this big popular artist because his fame was still very much on the rise and he could have easily been a, a you know a a um a quick blip. I'm saying that because like he's so talented that like yeah. even the song that makes no sense in the context of this movie ends up being. A pretty charming, like, kind of cloying, very sentimental song. But, like, because it's Michael Jackson, you're like, yeah, he's, like, it's still touching some part of my soul. It's, it brought the world to tears. It brought the world to tears. <laughs> Think about that. And the sad part is his dad was probably like, go make us money, you turd. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that's how that happened. But, yeah. And, and yeah, it's iconic now. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, and it's actually, like, it's a, it's, a, it's a weird thing where this is, like, this is Michael Jackson's first solo number one hit yeah and now you hear up when you hear about this song or the movie in general it's a footnote to that right like it's like a it's like an i love the 70s thing where it's like oh band was huge michael jackson's first wonderful do you know it was about a rat it was about a boy's love song to a rat like i've i think that's actually the first time i'd heard of the song um i don't think i'm describing something hypothetical i think in the early 2000s that that was like a i love the 70s where they talked about the song ben and it was kind of a joke among the the rotating cast of comedians that it was a love song to a rat in a movie no one remembers well as a kid i think it might have been my uncle that told me like you know when michael jacks was growing up his dad was really mean to him and he only had one friend it was a rat named ben <laughs> and then like you know as i grew up i'm like oh it's weird they made a movie about michael jackson's rat friend and he's singing about it and then now i'm like oh i think my uncle lied i could confidently say right now that if michael jackson played danny my opinion of ben would be much higher because the absurdity factor of that coming together would just <laughs> amplify all the things that are already weird about Ben. <laughs> like, I feel like if he was actually in the film, I would be uh, on, this, on the other side like of the Like if debate. he was like Danny, one of Danny's friends that would come over and play music with him. No, it would have to be him and Ben. It would have to be... No, Danny. He, he has to be he Danny. Danny. <laughs> I mean, okay, for, I yeah, gotcha. for everything though that we know about Michael Jackson, I think like you'd look back on this movie and be like, oh, back when he was just a normal kid with his rat friends and his <laughs> marionette puppets before, before things got a little weird. Writing all his hits. And then, you know, he went from rats to simians. So he, he escalated over time to more advanced species. Don't forget the elephant man's bones. <laughs> I've always tried to forget the elephant man's bones. <laughs> Like, I, I feel like I've kind of come to peace with, like, the fact that, like, I used to be very into Michael Jackson music, and now, like, when I hear it in a bar or whatever, I still get the little, like, vibe inside my body, and I try and deny it. Um, I feel like I've come to peace with that being just a thing I'm going to be dealing with the rest of my life. The Elephant Man Bones thing is just not anything I can quite fit into that. Oh, I think I smell a rat. Oh, I think I smell a rat. Thinking of where it's at. Oh, I think I smell a 
notice that in the movie, your character is very put upon. Right. Uh, he's very meek, and he right. dresses up in these sort of his father's clothes, these right. old man suits. Right, right. And then I meet you, and you wear <laughs> right. clothing that's very similar to your character in the movie. I do, I do. Well, what's going on here? And is there a giant rat backstage that you're training to attack humanity? Well, uh, I, I, I mean, maybe some of it has to do with liking wearing certain certain kinds of clothes, but it also made sense uh, for me to wear that particular kind in the of movie. In, in your in own life, do you have a lot? Do you like to wear a lot of suits? Especially and... if I'm doing a public appearance or something. And uh, but I, I, I like nice, to present myself. That's nice because we everyone who comes here. No one yeah. has that attitude anymore. Oh. They all show up. and They're like, yeah. Yeah, I'm here, and yeah. they're they're <laughs> naked half the time, <laughs> or they're wearing like aluminum siding. They right, don't care. Right. But you dress up for the yeah, occasion, yeah, which is a nice. Certain amount of respectfulness. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So in the remake of Willard, it occupies an odd place in its mo- a mostly forgotten movie. I saw it when it came out. I thought I remember seeing the preview. I thought it looked cool. Um, it's only in retrospect that I realized that it was uh, written and directed by essentially like one of my one of my favorite. Uh, I was a big X Files person, uh, and Glenn Morgan and James Wong um, wrote some of my favorite and directed some of my favorite episodes uh, of the X Files. They did this movie, which I didn't know until uh, literally I think last year when we did the Black Christmases, the Black Christmas. <laughs> and we realized that the 2006 one, which everyone fucking hated, that we all kind of loved, and it was written directed by that, we found out that, oh, that's weird. They did Willard. And I started talking about how I'd never seen the originals, but also that Willard, this movie that no one remembers, is my wife's most hated movie of all time. <laughs> like, she fucking hates it. Like... <laughs> Even before I had a podcast, she when I, like she just found out like I liked movies. <laughs> Little did she know what that like entailed. Like, hey, all our bookshelves are gonna be movies. <laughs> Congratulations on marrying me. But uh, but she would talk about how much she fucking hated this movie. And since Peter and I started the podcast, for some reason, like she, I mean, she has to deal with me a lot, so she's not like an avid listener of the podcast or anything like that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And uh, she puts up with my movie obsession as opposed to uh, – she likes watching movies, but not like uh, an obsessive weirdo like myself. But she, when, when Peter and I started the podcast, she was always like, you guys should do Willard because I just fucking hate that movie. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't think you quite get the we love to watch <laughs> dynamic. But I'm like – even so I, I was just talking – like anytime I tell that to people, it is such an odd choice to have like that – she hasn't seen it since it came out. So we're talking like an 18-year fucking just despising this movie. And she was actually really excited when she found out I was doing Willard. She also refused to rewatch the movie with me. And I'm like, but you hate it. And you've been asking me to cover it on the show. And I, I'm like, all I know is that you hate it and you think it's the stupidest movie you've ever seen in your life. I, like, I'm like, I want a little more material. She's like, I can't, I can't do that with my life. I can't watch that movie again. So I, I like, was, there's part of me that as I was watching it for the first time since it came out, there was a little bit trying to piece together why, like, I know my wife pretty well at this point. We watch a lot of movies. I like, I'm pretty good at recommending what she likes and dislikes. And I'll tell you something that she fucking hates. She hates any sort of threat of violence against dogs and now especially cats dogs more historically cats now because uh as well and so as i'm watching this like again i can't confirm or deny because once again she did not want to spend the night re-watching uh the movie but there are two points in this movie where one willard tortures a very cute dog 
by putting him in a bag with rats to teach the dog a lesson. And then another one where a, a cat who's done nothing wrong gets devoured by rats. That there was a part of me that was like, is this it? Is this like where it went wrong? The dog part happens very quick. And I just imagine that she was like, fuck this movie. That's definitely the part where I was like, you know, where the first Willard, I'm like, I don't know where he crosses a line where like, I'm not Mm -hmm. supposed to align with him anymore. But as soon as new metal Willard throws the dog (laughs) in the handbag, I was like, okay, there's the line that he crosses. Like it's very early Mm -hmm. on. So, and my, my, what's funny is I I haven't told Sean of this just because I just watched it last night, but, uh, my estimation of it rose slightly. Like, I think I had it, like, as a legacy rating on Letterboxd of three stars. And I, I gave it the Ben rating, the three and a half star special, as they say. Like, I guess here was, especially after seeing these other movies, like, I don't know. It's not a good movie. But I did enjoy it because I think Crispin Glover makes kind of this insane choice where the original Willard is really about, you know, like it or dislike it. It's clearly about just a guy who is a, is a nice, huggable, sweet boy who unfortunately has had no good hands dealt his way and he, you know, is misguided, but he's a, generally a very sympathetic character. And I love that Crispin Glover with this movie, which is also probably the reason why audiences hated it and my wife hates it, <laughs> made the decision to at no point try to make himself likable or relatable or have the audience feel sympathy for him. Even when his boss, played by R. Lee Emery, is being just a terrible prick to him, the way that he whines at his boss is like a fucking, like, why are you doing this? Like, (laughs) it, it has to be a choice to be like, I want any time I'm being abused for somehow me, the abuser, to be more... For the audience to take Arlie Emery's side, just be like, shut the fuck up. Why yeah. are you talking? Why are you acting like this? There's two moments where he's given, two. I'd say three moments where he's given opportunities to be sympathetic. And the performance leans the opposite direction because I think Crispin Aggressively Glover. Aggressively so. Yeah. Crispin Glover is not really interested in making his character relatable. And like no. when they were building the... Um, the makeup for him they purposefully wanted him to look scary and feral and rat-like so that starts from the first frame when he's walking well not the first frame there's opening credits but the first actual scene of the movie with him walking down the stairs into the basement like he's he's walking down like he's a german expressionist villain or something like he's got very exaggerate crispin glover already has sort of exaggerated features but the makeup really helps highlight it the hair helps make him look kind of more alien like the outfit he has on is very you know sort of disconcerting in a way um it very much looks like an old man's suit that he's like occupying like he's wearing dad's suit because he literally is and twice his boss demeans him in a way that is like straight up like evil like horrifyingly evil and like you're supposed to have sympathy for him um, it's and the second time is when he's actually being fired, and he just turns into this like yeah screaming, writhing mess, and it's scary just more pathetic. than it's sympathetic, like, beyond pathetic. Not yeah, I I don't have the ability to pity him. He's just a strange alien beast, and like there's nothing to help him with. And then the third time is like a moment where I actually started laughing, which is when he is at his mom's funeral and oh yeah the guy comes in to explain basically that like not only did your parents leave you no money they left you with debt 
And they're going to take the house, sell the house, pay off whatever and it's debt. My house. It's yeah, my pay, house. Pay off the lien. It's my house. It's my house. You're taking it's my away house. my house. You can't take my house. <laughs> God, if only you knew you about GoFundMe. Immediately goes falsetto. Yeah. <laughs> and so I started laughing. Mm. This is the only GoFundMe where somehow somehow he loses money. Right. <laughs> right. Like some get this guy a damn house. <laughs> But this guy is like should be living in the woods with his rats. Like if he had a financial manager, he'd be like, "Listen, Will, the deal is you don't need the big house. You just need a cabin in the woods and a <laughs> second auxiliary cabin for the rats. Maybe a gun with one bullet. <laughs> if we sell the house now, we can have you in uh, rat food for about fifteen years. <laughs> the life of a rat is about three to five years. So if you take that back." <laughs> We can cleanly transition you out of rats in the next 15 years. Does that work? Don't you find he looks like a rat a little bit? Like, the way the shadowing is and, like, his face structure. The like They do a little uh, red makeup accents around the corner yeah. of, his, of his eyes as well. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like, quality. it's like a German expressionist thing, kind of. Like, they're using makeup mm. to make his features way more exaggerated. Almost like they're making a silent movie. Uh, however, the, unfortunately, the protagonist talks. <laughs> yeah, but like instead instead of uh, even just the way that he talks to the rats, like, you know, in the original Whaler, there is a little bit about like, hey, Ben, you got to be nice or oh, Socrates, I really be <laughs> like, here he's just like, I love you and I hate you. You get to sleep with me. You don't. You're the only person I like in the whole world. Like, it is aggressively annoying. And I kind of love it because it is such an obvious choice to be like, how do we make a movie where the hero is aggressively like he's a he he has not been given a lot in life nothing is going his way everything on like movie paper means that you're supposed to feel sympathy for him and what if at every turn we do our best to undermine that and make him someone that is like beyond pitiable and i i can also see why like i i kind of really liked it just as like a, a performance and a choice and it's such an odd way to structure a movie around like but i can also see like you know brandon to your point it, it's definitely a, a turn from the original willard and you know you and Brittany were saying like hey we really identified a little bit like in, in these kind of margins with how willard was feeling i can see why if that was your takeaway from from the original Willard, and then you go and watch this movie that's like, uh, yeah, everyone around him sucks, capitalism sucks, uh, his boss sucks, uh, you know, the the way that our system just takes things from people suck. But you know who else sucks? Willard. Mm-hmm. Like, I can see why that might not be the type of remake that really, that really sits well uh, with a lot of people. Well, the thing is that, like, I really like this movie a lot. Okay, great. <laughs> it's just for different reasons than yeah. the first one. Like, I like the first one because I was uncomfortable with how relatable I found Willard and, like, how much his, like, desire to sink into his weird hobbies was being thwarted at every turn. Like, I was like, I recognize that frustration. My favorite thing about the 2003 Willard is that Crispin Glover is an absolute fucking freak. He's a lunatic. <laughs> like yeah. uh, the indulgence of that performance, um, it reminds me a lot of like a recent episode y'all did on your show, where you watched all of the Nick Cage versus yeah. cult films, and you were talking a lot about Nick Cage's craft and how yeah. like he is the auteur of a lot of the movies he's in, where like the movies have to conform around the weird choices he makes in his performance. 
this is the Crispin Glover movie in my mind. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. that man is very strange. Besides maybe the uh, clowny clown clown music video that he made, this is like the oh, yeah. first thing that I think of where it's like he kind of dresses like Willard in his real life. Mm-hmm. And in interviews, he sounds like this Willard performance where like every word that he speaks sounds foreign to his mouth as if he's discovering English as a language for the first time <laughs> as he's speaking it. Yeah. And he is constantly fascinating throughout this movie. So, like, yeah, it's a different track than the original Willard where I'm not, like, relating to him. I'm more just like, what is this alien species that just crash-landed on this planet um, with these, like, this rat army behind him? And I'm just, like, fascinated and sort of, like, grossed out by his performance choices the whole time. I I found it not as good as the the original Willard, but um, just as fascinating. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Like, I... He's, like, a cartoon villain in here a little bit. Like, we recently watched, like, the Batman 1966 movie. Brittany, you and I are so in sync right now. It's fucking insane. I'm right freaking <laughs> out. I have Batman villain underlined. Shut <laughs> up. Notes right now. Because I'm like, it re- yeah, like, I don't know. Like, it reminded me so, like, you know, so much of, like, the way the Batman villains are in, like, that very cartoonish Batman movie. And also, like, the ones in, like, the 90s that were super shitty that we love. Yeah, it's like, we, we just got to throw Willard in with the Joker and the Riddler. The one choice this movie makes that deviates from the plot of the original, and this was a studio-mandated choice because it was originally an R-rated film, and they recut it with a PG-13 cut. This was the era of PG-13 garbage, which was... We've talked about it on our show quite a lot. Yeah, and we should definitely talk about it's like filmmaking aesthetics fit in the line of that visually, but... The one change they made was the ending. They let Willard live. He doesn't get yeah. killed by the rats. And he goes to basically Arkham Asylum at the end of the movie. Yeah. He's like <laughs> in a padded cell and people are. Oh, my God. It's an origin story. <laughs> yeah. What if this is split and the next movie is oh, like the, his cellmate is like another weirdo. Like who would who would also be at this? Oh, my asylum God. With we him? thought it ended with glass. It didn't. <laughs> I mean, it could be like. <laughs> He then fights, like, you take one of the weird, dark incarnations of the Ninja Turtles, and he's, like, the Rat King in the next movie. <laughs> the one shot, too, that, like, really underlines that for me is um, when he gets his revenge on his boss, and the elevator door opens, oh, and yeah. there's just more rats than you could possibly imagine. These, like, yeah. CGI rats fill the elevator as if it was, like, a glass of water, and they spill out. I'm like, that is a Batman villain image right there. That has nothing to do with, like, the Willard, like, iconography in any way. It just feels like post-Burton Batman bullshit. And I love it. It's great. Yeah, I, uh, it has this sort of, like, gothic grotesque that reminded me of, um, Batman Returns. Or, you know, Sweeney Todd. I definitely got the sort of gothic filtered through how can I kind of gross people out sensibility that I was, I was pretty into the aesthetic of this. I mean... We didn't talk about it, but, like, this is directed by Glenn Morgan, who also directed another movie that we covered on a crossover episode, Black Christmas 2006. Um, Do you guys ever get the impression Peter doesn't listen to me? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry, I was looking up I was looking up this interview with Crispin Glover, where, or this interview with the director where he talks about Crispin Glover laughing during every time Arlie Ermey was talking. So every time Arlie Ermey was like yelling at Crispin Glover, Crispin Glover would just be laughing off camera because like he just couldn't keep a straight face when Arlie. To Ermey be fair, was he is very at. funny in this. I'm trying to find this interview. Sorry, I was googling this. I was trying to find this interview because it, it 
it broke my brain because I can't imagine Crispin Glover ever behaving professionally on set, but he's so committed on the film. Also worth noting, my early 2000s DVD copy I've owned of this forever um, has a 70-minute behind-the-scenes documentary. Oh, I'm sure because it's uh, it was the Platinum series, right? The New Line Cinema, like, yeah. silver ribbon across, like, Ooh. special features, baby. It has, like, from conception to, like, post-production test screenings to, like, the director's expressed disappointment. In the process, like the entire Willard Man, I saga. I want to watch that. That sounds crazy. <laughs> it's way too in depth. Uh, you get a lot of like Crispin Glover talking about his like acting choices too. He's like, I was trying to do the Klaus Kinski turn in this scene where you put your foot here and then you turn around towards the camera. He did that a lot in Aguiera, The Wrath of God. <laughs> like really nerdy shit <laughs> that has nothing to do with like the final product. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Crispin Glover is like legitimately a crazy person. <laughs> Like, he seems like a harmless crazy person, but... I don't see him as that different from the character he plays in this film. I don't know no. if that's me reading too much into it, but Willard and him are, like, very much parallel in my brain. Well, the, he has that David Letterman interview that's a little nuts, but, like, he also just kind of shunned, like, movies. I remember reading an AV Club interview with him in, like, 2007, 2008, when he directed those two movies that he like refused to release anywhere and kept kind of driving around town showing them. And I, I remember, I don't remember the specifics. I just remember being very unhinged in general. Well, he directed the clown time music video that I referenced earlier and also directed a music video of his own cover of Ben, <laughs> um, which I sent y'all, which, which is in this movie. I love that they have both versions of Ben. They have Ben that the cat inexplicably turns on the TV on a easy listening. Station. Yes. Uh, that whole scene is actually band. great. It's well choreographed. Yeah, I love that sequence. And then, it, yeah, it ends with him singing it. Can we... I know it's probably just supposed to be a little bit of a goof, but is the implication that his dad was the original Willard? Yeah, there's a uh, a shot of the uh, family portraits in his bedroom. And the original actor who played Willard is, like, the dad But figure. he's aged up. So yeah, like, Bruce Davidson, yeah. It is also confusing because it feels like it's a legacy cool thing. Like, oh, his son did the same thing. But, like, that's literally not possible because I'm pretty sure the original Willard died a virgin. um, And they definitely lost that house in between. Which is also really funny because Glenn Morgan said in interviews that this was not a remake. It's a different adaptation of the source text. Which is so silly because there's so many, like, references to... Like the Ben song yeah. and the original actor and all these other things. The like, I don't know what kind of marketing ploy that was. <laughs> has anyone read, I, I'm sure the answer is no, but has anyone read Rap Man's Notebooks? Which is the- I haven't, but I am highly interested. I don't want to stray too far from the uh, music video for Ben, though, because it is intensely erotic in a way that you would <laughs> not expect from a uh, cover of the song Ben. Um where Crispin Glover sings the song on a stage at a burlesque and all the women in the crowd are so turned on by his love song to his pet rat that they um, are hypnotized and like kind of wander over to the stage um, and strip into classic like um, corset and um, garter belts and stockings lingerie. And then, like, kind of writhe on the stage in this, like, orgy while the uh, very soft uh, love song of Ben plays in the background. It's like he's whispering the lyrics. It's so creepy. (laughs) I don't know where the inspiration for that came from, but it is fascinating. He was probably like, I've been wanting to do this since I was a child, and I saw Willard, and now's my time. (laughs) That's why he signed on. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this is essentially, like, his... 
only like leading role in a studio movie like he yeah yeah this is i mean you would never call what he does in back to the future one a leading role so yeah i mean he's good in stuff like the river's edge he like had a little bit of a career revival in the charlie's angels movies he does play grendel in beowulf which was like a big yeah big budget robert zemeckis like action movie he plays like the lead villain it's it's amazing that him and Robert Zemeckis worked together, especially after uh, he sued uh, Universal and named Spielberg, Bob Gale. He might have named Robert Zemeckis. I don't know in the suit. Um, yeah, he did. He said that he she was co-lead and should get paid as much. Which actually, like, when you walked Back to the Future, I think you can make the case that he has as much to do with the plot. But that's different than, like, co-lead. Yeah, yeah. I mean... He is crucial to Back to the Future 1, and then, like, he asked for a million dollars in the 80s to come back for 2, even though he was kind of a diminished part of the script, and they said no, and then they just, like, made an actor look like him and used his image. And But he won that lawsuit. He won it. He got, like, $750,000 in the 80s. Oh, wow. He was awarded $760,000, led to new clauses in the Screen Actors Guild. Essentially, they just recast them, and they recast people all the time, so I guess I am a little... Like, was that the rule that the Screen Actors Guild was like, you can recast people now? This is probably a tangent. but I'm, Yeah, I'm yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. I just know that he, he said over the years, like, various things, what he's done, with, what he did with that money, which is, you know, $760,000 that doesn't get you as far now as it did in 1990. But, like, I think he said, you know, he used some of that money to finance his two independent films, and obviously he does those tours, and those are supposed to be the only ways you can see those films, is that he it's him in the room presenting it yeah because he said he wants to be there for q a after each time it's, it's like, very uh, the worst part of every film screening <laughs> i gotta be there to absorb the love and people going what was that well to the larger point though like this is like i think the biggest budget like crispin glover showcase <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. you feel that like tim burton era of like well after tim burton but like as soon as those opening credits where there's the like Sphinkmeyer kind of like stop motion um, effects and like y'all talked about Adam's family recently on your show mm-hmm. as well. Uh, that sort of like you were saying like Gothic influenced horror imagery. And I feel like that aesthetic from the new metal era has sort of bled over for so long yeah. that like even recently when I was watching malignant, I was thinking like, this is what big budget horror still looks like um, yeah. the first hour of malignant before it actually gets fun. Um, <laughs> it's like, this is what, you know, big budget mainstream horror still looks like now. And it has for the past like 20 years. It does kind of show, it does kind of show that the, that, um, the, uh, the filmmakers came of maturity during the saw early 2000s fear.com kind of era, 13 yeah. ghosts kind of era, as opposed to, um, you know, a different era. Um, it, it very much displays some of those tendencies though, though more artfully than any of those movies, I think. <laughs> Yeah, but even with, like, that and the PG-13 horror, um, like, thing holding it back, like, I think this one and Black Christmas are both so ridiculous and so, like, fun to watch and, like, playful in a way that a lot of those movies aren't. Um, And I, I just, I walked away, like, elated both times. Yeah, I do think, like, understanding that who made both of those movies, I think, makes a lot of sense. Because part of the... The the Wong and Morgan like special sauce on X Files was creepy, interesting, a little bit tongue in cheek, and I think 
they knew the tropes of an X-Files episode and were able to deliver a good one of those that also knows what a good X-Files episode is. And I think, as I've said, part of what makes, I think, Willard so fun is, like, they get both the aesthetic of horror movies of, like, how to up a lot of the creepiness factor. And they also recognize that, like, this is a movie based on a the Ratman's journals or whatever about this, like, lunatic guy that starts training rats and ends up killing people. Like, why don't we really lean into the repugnancy of the the character as opposed to trying to make him sympathetic. And they do that, I think, also by making the world as a whole repugnant. Oh, it's so grimy. It's so grimy. Like, I don't know what they're doing at this quote-unquote office job, but, like, it, the office is, like, in a warehouse that looks like it's about to be condemned. When you, like, compare that to uh, the original Willard, like, it, I, you know, it looks like TV lighting, but it still looks like, you know, a Mary Tyler Moore, like, bustling 70s office and... Like, the kind of place that you kind of get that it's going to smell a little bit like old coffee, but you'd walk in and go, oh, this is kind of kitschy. Like, this just looks like just a depressing nightmare. Even, like, there's that scene where his boss is, like, right before he gets killed, um, he's, like, watching porn. And And grabs a mouse, but it's not a mouse. Yeah, and (laughs) it's a great joke. The mouse puns increased dramatically from 1971 to 2003. <laughs> they were going to use them. Uh, but I uh, I just like, like even the porn he's looking at. And I know some of this is just 2003, but like, it's so depressing. He's there at night, like theoretically as a home he could go to. He's at the office in like this. this he has a very like, nice home in the suburbs. It's huge. Yeah, I know. And he has this shitty office where he's like apparently some rich guy. And the porn is like takes forever to get unpixelated and he's clicking one picture at a time and he has a a giant bottle of booze next to him and everything about him is just is, everything about it is just like man like this this whole world just deserves to be burned maybe a little bit like it needs a little cleansing fire it needs to be ratified yeah i know ratified means something else but i mean i mean it obviously <laughs> in the rat context <laughs> i don't mean like it's a constitutional amendment So, yeah, I love the idea. And Black Christmas, like, one of the things we talked about Black Christmas 2006 was how, like, mean and surprising it was. Like, I was not, you know, we were not expecting that level of, like, depravity. And I think uh, the thing about this movie that, you know, feels even surprising seeing it for the first time in almost 20 years, like, and why it was likely so off-putting to my wife and audience. Like, this got a D- minus on CinemaScore. So it's not quite at that F level, but, like, audiences like saw this and were like yeah d minus and they tried to fix it with those different cuts where they changed the ending and moved some stuff around or moved things yeah and every time they changed stuff the score came back like worse yeah (laughs) they could not fix it but i understand that like it is there's almost no one to root for and it's just disgusting you know for lack of a better term like it's disgusting people in a disgusting system with a disgu- like with a disgusting point of view character and like there's there's no one to grasp on and if you kind of like almost embrace the gross hedonism of everything that you're seeing like from a depravity standpoint i think it's so fun because it's just not like almost any type of other movie that tries to get someone that you relate to. Like one of the things that we talk about a lot with like movies where, you know, the 
there's an anti-hero or something like that about even when you meet these like serial killers or murderers or drug dealers who are ostensibly the the hero of your movie that so many people watch it and go oh they're actually kind of cool because like movies put you in that in that frame of mind where you can't help but relate and feel empathy and thus understand motivations and pretty soon you're kind of rooting for like a monster and this is a movie that goes does very well at going you're never going to be rooting for him at all like we, we we're going to show you a monster in a monstrous world even if it's like a low key level of monster and we at no point are going to do anything to get you on his side. And like that is unique. It's kind of hilarious that they thought the way to fix it in audience's eyes was to not have Willard die. <laughs> so like recut the ending where Willard lives. It's like, see your favorite your favorite rat uh commander Willard, he gets to live at the end of the movie. And people were like, I still hate it. <laughs> like, what was wrong with just having Willard fall into the rat pile and be chewed apart and then like like what was what was wrong with that original ending like i don't need to see him in a psychiatric institute being um bullied by one more guy <laughs> like i don't i don't I need like one it. more bully for willard that's not like that's not like a cathartic ending for me yeah it's so funny that that was them trying to fix it oh this guy you hate what if he's alive and still super nuts <laughs> <laughs> I only liked it because of the Batman connection. Like, because Batman was already on my mind, and then it gave him the Batman villain's ending. That's, like, the only reason it worked for me. Um, If I hadn't been thinking about Batman, I probably would have thought that ending was bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I, I did read it as, like, a split, unbreakable kind of deal. Right. It's got comic book energy. And it's the kind of comic book stuff that I like. Like, I don't don't care about Spider-Man and all the other Superman, all the other mans. I don't know, like, I like this movie, and I want to love it so bad, but I don't know if I'm at the love it level with it yet. Like, the the vibe of it, the environment is awesome. Crispin Glover is a maniac, which is awesome. The rats look great. I just think is that the mom isn't psycho-bitty enough. Like, she's she's too, like, shrill and, like, overacted in the non, like psycho bitty way <laughs> yeah they they make her into a visual scare she looks like a victorian ghost yeah like her being all wrinkled and like um you know haunted looking is not nearly as terrorizing to me as the other mother impatiently ringing her bell oh, for her to come to her bedside yeah the other mom reminds me of like uh throw mama from the train like that whole <laughs> yeah. you know like that movie but yeah like this one the only I did like whenever she did the whole like you know I shouldn't have named you Willa I should have named you Clark thing that was probably my favorite bit from her but yeah I don't know <laughs> I will say um Arlie Emery is a step up though as far as the bosses go yeah he's definitely a step up from um Ernest Borgnine oh, yes. especially when he makes that like a uh, capitalist reading um very explicit when he's like yeah. business is a rat race and I will not allow myself to be devoured by the other rats. Like he like spells everything out and is just chewing the scenery. Um and matching, you know, Crispin Glover is like overacting in a way that's very difficult to do, I imagine. Yeah, I, I just really quickly, I'm very impressed as a horror movie, I don't think it's scary because ultimately uh rats are too cool to be scary. Sorry, uh Willard. But the Sorry, rat acting. The the rat acting is (laughs) so 
good. So good. And like the CGI rats are sometimes indistinguishable from the real ones, but they have a lot of real rat hand- handlers. Like they had like 10 sometimes rat handlers on set at a time because they would be so many and they all had like individual numbers under their tails so that they Sick. could ID them and make sure at the end of the day they had collected them all. So they they were all in that rat butthole area that scares us. <laughs> all up I I really hope rat handlers aren't like Ew. <laughs> right <laughs> gross. Uh yeah, but they but yeah they 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 had so many of them and there's only one shot in the movie that looks CGI and fakey to me and it's Willard ri- riding the elevator to the top and he's literally like the it's it's like the blood scene from The Shining where but instead of blood it's rats coming out of the elevator <laughs> that's the only scene in it that's like not convincing all the other CGI scenes they had to, had to very artfully hide that it's CGI like making the background out of focus or making having a sensation of movement so you're not focusing on the rat like the cgi rats you're only focusing on like the real rats in the foreground like they do a lot of clever tricks in this to like make the effect of lots and lots of rats um really work yeah that scene had the malignant effect to me where it was like if you're gonna go over the top with your like idiotic effects you should do something very silly with it (laughs) <laughs> like uh, I'm glad they did that with the elevator scene. Oh, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that's the only yeah. one in the whole movie that I was like, "That's CGI. That's twenty that's CGI. year old CGI." I agree. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's probably better for the rats than what they did in the first Willard because they do a little bit of that um, Night of a Thousand Cats thing where like someone will be running through a room and you could tell that production assistants are throwing rats at the actors as they're running like live creatures and it's like you shouldn't do that to these living animals um yeah so like uh if i had to dock points from the original willard for anything i think probably they mishandled the rat training uh, in the 1970s in a way that they probably did not did not in the early 2000s i felt bad watching ben and the original willard at times because like i though i don't know for a fact they mistreated rats i like kind of know for a fact they mistreated rats (laughs) right (laughs) like you could totally get away with it in like 1971 and 1972 nobody was fucking paying attention they cared about like horses and dogs by then but they absolutely Mm -hmm. did not care about rats it took them until the 90s to be like Maybe if we have a scene involving a bunch of bugs, we shouldn't just murder all the bugs at the end of every day of shooting. I had seen all of these movies probably about 10 years ago, maybe 15, somewhere around there. I had seen all of them around the same time in the same rapid succession that I had watched them for this episode. (laughs) Um, And I, around that time, really appreciated the uh, remake of Willard with Crispin Glover. And had thought that the 70s ones were boring and just, like, not horrifying in any way. I was like, those aren't even really horror movies. Why would I bother with them? And now rewatching it for this episode, my only, like, new takeaway was, like, I was surprised that the original 1971 Willard was my favorite one of the batch. Um, even though I still enjoyed the Crispin Glover remake uh, for the, its Crispin Gloverness in particular. Yeah. Somewhat surprising. Because I, like we talked about at the beginning, I consider Ben to be the, the true trashiest one of, of the three. And then the remake to be second trashiest. Because the, the original one, like, I don't know, kind of, it has some reputability to me in a way that, like, certain 70s thrillers do. Where they're, like, trying to emulate Hitchcock. And even if they were doing it on, on, a, on a budget, um, they were still trying to emulate, like, a master thriller. Who, like, would set up scenes very delicately. You know what it reminds me of? Like... We were talking about it's like TV movie quality. 
there's a certain subsect of movies that feel like TV movies, but have an underlying squirminess to them. And I, I would put pin mm. and the baby, the baby, mm, the baby. Uh, what's the third one I'm thinking of? And the, the pit, the pit, I, like all, all three of those <laughs> oh, movies have a similar, so like underplayed visual style to them. But uh, the actual, like, character dynamics on screens make me squirm in the same way that the original Willard does. Yeah. Except in this case, it was because I related to the character, not because of like what was happening. <laughs> I don't relate to Pin or uh, the guy from the pit. Either. <laughs> <laughs> just, just clarifying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because sometimes there's like a plainness that can translate even in like movies with enough budget. There's a plainness that can kind of translate and it actually makes the scares stand out a little bit more Yeah, it's because unsettling. you're not expecting you're not expecting anything to pop out, whereas, like, in the Willard 2003 one, it's so arch and it's so campy and it's supposed to be sort of comic booky that, like, by the time you get to the horror scenes, you're like, well, yeah. Like, go as crazy as you want, because I've had the ground already broken in the first 30 seconds of this movie. Um, just stylistically. It is amazing. You mentioned you watched all of them in rapid succession before. Like I, I also like watching these in like the course of two days. I was pretty pleased with them as a weird little series. Though, like yeah. none of them, I'm going to revisit individually because like Willard was like, "All right, we took delicate care to slowly ramp up the horror," and then Ben was just like mostly, mo- mostly rat attacks, like right from the beginning. And then you get to the Willard remake and they're like making it very clear that they're not going for reputability within the first like 10 minutes. Like your patience gets rewarded right after like starting with the third act of the first movie. And then it's just like rat attacks all the way through the rest of them. (laughs) Yeah, I think as a whole, they definitely spin quite the tale. I was hoping to get the Crispin Glover laugh. From <laughs> also, I love, we've already mentioned this, but I love when Crispin Glover is, is yelling. He's mad at Ben. And he goes, I love Socrates, but I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. I think if I, you know, I, I, if, if I, I, I probably won't rewatch these any. Like I said, they they're kind of occupy that two and a half to three and a half star movie space for me. That's not something I'm running out for a rewatch. But I can see in five or ten years being like, "Hey, I, I kind of want to hear Crispin Glover yell at someone like a oh, two year old baby." <laughs> like, I think that would be nice. It's kind of amazing this doesn't have the same YouTube highlight reel treatment that like Wicker Man Nicholas Cage gets. Yeah, yeah. it's true. Yeah, because like. There's that scene where he's like naming Ben and Socrates by look, and he's like, "Geez, you're big, big, you're big Ben, Ben." <laughs> like, <laughs> he like really makes a meal out of every line. You yeah. would think that would get the YouTube highlight reel treatment. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, OG Willard forever for me. I've watched this Hell movie yeah. <laughs> since I was like a kid. Like I kind of grew up with Willard. Um, I even had like a big old rubber rat named Willard. Because I like that name better than Ben. <laughs> it's so funny. Like, I think last time uh, Brandon and I like recorded, I had like my I have this like bootleg copy of Ben and Willard because like for years, um, like my VHS tape, like the tape inside got messed up. 
And I'm like, God, I need to get this on DVD because this is before like streaming services were a big thing. And I went to like a comic convention and they had like one of those like bootleg DVD tables. And this, and I'm like, do you have Willard? And the guy's like, oh, yeah, I can get anything. Anything. <laughs> I can get anything. <laughs> he opens his trench coat and rats spill out. Yeah. So it was like this like weird drug deal for Willard. And then on the flip side is Ben. So I have Ben and Willard. And Brandon saw it, and he's like, Brittany, like, please watch it on Tubi. I'm sure the quality is awful, <laughs> and it is awful <laughs> The version on Canopy right now of, like, the original Willard is such crisp, it's so beautiful nice. HD. Yeah. 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 Minor trash. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I think we talked a lot about rats. I think we talked about <laughs> friends of rats, be them uh, grown adult men who act like children or children with the heart of a monkey. <laughs> <laughs> children with the heart of a monkey, but the soul of a rat. <laughs> soul yeah. of a rat, heart of a monkey, voice of an angel. Yes. <laughs> and the mind of an artist. The face of Mikey from the Life commercials. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> He likes it. <laughs> We've created such a beautiful little boy, a little genius. I will say, like, it'd be fun to do a, just a uh, marathon of rap movies. And, like, I can't name a whole lot of other ones. There was that 1922 movie that came out a few years ago. Like, it'd be kind of fun to do, like, a bunch of killer rap movies. Or killer rodents in general. Probably just those and killer shrews, but. My know. favorite, like, rodent part of a movie is in whatever happened to baby jane where she has like a dead rat in the silver like dish oh yeah and it's played up um or homaged at the beginning of desperate living that beautiful platter yeah we've got rats in the cellar (laughs) well i will um i'm very much looking forward to doing this again next year this kind of crossover episode tradition that we've established here I, i don't know if it will be rat themed but i'm sure we'll find something deliciously trashy The mouse hunt (laughs) <laughs> just mouse hunt no other Mal- let's do mouse hunt let's do Stuart little rats but for kids i yeah. need and just watch ben again actually do that to look up the film rat boy from 1986 when you have the chance is it a remake of ben? It, or watch the first segment of the vhs 1994 yeah if you if you look rat at it if you watch this it's like what danny would have turned into if he would have been <laughs> too close to the rats uh, yeah, this is if Danny and Ben went into the machine from the fly together. <laughs> yes. Good for them. You know, I, I would wish that on them. I think that would make them both very happy. This is most certainly a rat boy. I was calling Danny a rat boy earlier. No. This is a literal, like, human-rat hybrid. Uh, Keith Phipps gave it one and a half stars on the dissolve. We're gonna <laughs> love it. We're gonna love it. All right. We'll save that for our next episode. Yeah, let's see what's going on here. In the meantime, if you um, listen to the Swamp Flicks podcast, I would recommend you check out the We Love to Watch podcast uh, as well. And if you're listening to this on the We Love to Watch feed, I suggest you switch to the Swamp Flicks feed. (laughs) Obligations satisfied. (laughs) Um, Let's go to bed. (laughs) Good night. Good night, everybody. Bye. I used to say I used to say I and me 
it's us Now It's we Then Most people would turn you away I don't listen to a word they say don't see you as I do I wish they would try to I'm sure they think I can They had a friend like Ben A friend Like Ben 